Hello, friends, and welcome back to an unexpected podcast. We are here to continue our uh, multi-episode Articon coverage. We have all come back recently from Articon. Uh, we had a great time, and there are a million games to go through. So we've already done an episode covering day one of the Masters. Uh, we've done one covering day two of the Masters, uh, the doubles, and then we did one for the Masters qualifier as well. Like I said, there's a lot of games to go through. Um, but today, what we're going to cover is the main event, the Team World GT. We're going to split this over um, two episodes because the entire team participated. So we're going to take some time to kind of uh, refresh people on our lists and go through how our games went. Um, I'm joined by Mick somewhere in the world. I think maybe oh, France yeah. uh, and Evan in, back in Boston, I believe. Uh, I'm Rob here in D.C. And, uh, and yeah, and let's get right to it. So the, the GT. Um, Mick, do you want to get started here and um, kind of give us a quick refresher on what your list was, and then we cool. can launch right into the games? All right. So um, the, G the main event, the GT, uh, it was it was going to be played uh, six six rounds and six hundred fifty points, single army. Um, we would have six six uh, games with pool scenarios. So every every round there would be a pool. And then one of the scenarios would be would be drawn from the pool, so mm -hmm. uh, we wouldn't be repeating pools. Um, and there were three outs in the in the in the tournament. Mm -hmm. um, basically, at the beginning of every round, um, each player rolled a dice. They uh, they vetoed one of the outs from the other uh, uh, from their opponent, and then they picked one of them uh, to select in secret for that game. Um, just to give you a quick rundown, the outs were basically. Um, one of them was called uh, the Master Tactician, I believe, uh, where you, you place an additional objective on the table. And if at the end of the game you had at least three times as many models within six inches of the objective, then you gain the oath. Then another one was to do with your leader killing an enemy hero. And the third one was with you killing the second most expensive hero in your opponent's army who was not the leader. Uh, so hero again, or model? Uh, model even. I think actually. it might have been it model. Been, it may, so may if have it been happened model, to be yeah. like a troll or something, it could technically be that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. And so you were able to veto one of your opponent's oaths. Um, so if, let's say, your second most, expen most expensive model was something that, that was very likely to die, then you would usually, usually veto that. Mm -hmm. Or if you didn't have very many numbers, you would usually veto the one with the, um, with the, uh, with the additional objective. So essentially, because of how many players there, there are at this tournament, um, normally um, you would require like seven or eight or like nine rounds to actually, to actually get like one person on, on, on six wins out of, out of everybody. But James decided a few years ago to start doing oaths. And so this year I think have, has had the best system so far. That was like the most balanced. And, um, there, were, there were a few to choose from, but like they were all quite consequential. And um, essentially, uh, you uh, you scored five points for a uh, for a win, and then you were able to to score one extra tournament point for the oath. So if you if you were to um, score five wins and five oaths, then it was like equivalent of six wins. So in the end, the oaths were actually quite important for your uh, for your tournament progress. So anyway, with 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 all that in mind, uh, we had six hundred fifty point list. So Rob, do you want to uh, talk about your list first? Yeah, sure. I would love to. So I ended up taking a, um, a Minas Tirith list, pure Gondor. 
Um, and I had as my leader, Boromir, uh, captain of the White Tower with all of his regular gear and the flag. Uh, so on a horse with a shield, he was no leading. Lance. Wait, wait, there, there was no lance in there. You can't take the lance if you take the banner. Oh. Yeah. Oh, but you had the banner. Okay, good. But I had the banner. Good good yeah. See, you see, the, the trick, <laughs> Rob, is to take the lance instead of the banner because it's better. You know, I, I ran into a bannerless lance full Boromir actually at the event. Um, but, you know, it's just really hard to give up that fight seven and that fight five on your battle line. So so I went with the banner. Um, I even I even managed to get it a little bit painted at the end. So I I usually play it. It's just like a white battle flag. But I scrawled a really ugly tree onto it before Articon to, to make it official. So um, and then uh, he was leading four warriors of Minas Tirith. Uh, four guards of the fountain court with shields, uh, two rangers and a knight with a shield. So, so yeah, four, four, two, and one. Um, and then for my second war band, I had Faramir, captain of uh, Ithilien, and he had his full kit as well. So he had horse, shield, heavy armor, lance, leading three warriors of ministers with shield, three warriors or three guards of the fountain court with shield, two rangers, and a knight. And then for my final war band, I had uh, Madril. He's also leading three warriors with shield, three fountain guard with shield. He had one ranger, and then he had a citadel guard with a bow on a horse. And so that was a total of 31 models, uh, 12 might, and, um, and you know, pretty, pretty standard Minas Tirith list, honestly, at 650. There wasn't, wasn't too, uh, anything too fancy or tricksy about it. Um, before you ask, the, the first thing everyone will ask is, really? Faramir? Yeah. And the answer is, from? yes, Faramir. And, um, and how did we get to this sad state of affairs? So basically, uh, early on, I was planning to play Army of Dale. That was the army that I was going to play at Articon. I was practicing with it. I was painting it. Um, and then fairly late into the game, um, I found out if I could make a shameless plug for a moment that I had an article coming out in SBG magazine that I wrote about Boromir. Um, and um, so in this article, which obviously was written some time ago, it was just now releasing, I had mentioned how I'd never been to a competitive event without Boromir. And I thought it would be pretty ironic if the day it actually releases, I come to a tournament without Boromir. So I made a last minute switch to Gondor, but by this time we had already determined our lists. And as you will find out shortly, um, Mick had already claimed Hurin. So, um, you know, fair, fair, uh, fair game. He claimed him well in advance. Um, I would have, in an ideal world, taken Hurin over Faramir, but he wasn't an option. And Mick's list was really good and it, um, it functioned exactly the way he wanted. So I stuck with the lesser brother and we will find out uh, throughout the course of the episode whether or not he did show his quality. Um, spoiler alert, not really. Um, yeah, so that was my list. Uh, if any of you out there are not reading SPG Magazine in general, you should. It's a wonderful product um, put out by Damien and Tom, uh, wonderful people in the community. So definitely give that a look. Um, and yeah, and so that was my list for the GT. This, this uh, latest issue of SVG Magazine also, also features some really incredible terrain pieces. So yeah, you should definitely check it out. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a great so, fanzine um, and it's anybody who likes the game, it's really worth picking up. So man, Mick, yeah, so you, had an, you had an article in the last one, didn't you, in issue 11? Yeah, yeah I, had, I think I had, had, had one article in issue 8 and one in 11 or 9 yeah. and 11. Yeah, so Mick, I think Mick is a 11. veteran think, of the magazine. So. I think you have maybe maybe three now at this point. Um, mm -hmm. Me? You, you've written a couple. No, I've, I've written know. two. Mm. 
Yeah. In any I mean, case, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, Nick is the pioneer one. for us uh, in the SPG yes. magazine space, and we're slowly getting our uh, contributions in there. But yeah, yeah. so I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> soon, very well soon write the an SPG article. SPG magazine right. will be uh, just entirely unexpected <laughs> podcast members. An unexpected SPG magazine. magazine. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I couldn't very well write a um, article about how much I love Boromir and a tactica on Boromir and then show up without Boromir. So, so that made my my decision at the last minute very easy. But luckily, it's a it's an army that I'm very familiar with. So even though it wasn't what I would consider like the best army I could have written for Articon, at least I knew how to play it very well with little practice. So, so like I have a feeling that uh, you were a bit of a Denethor there, yeah, telling a little your bit. Boromir that he you wish you wish he had been here in. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that. <laughs> Very much. Okay. So, well, we'll um, talk more so about Faramir, I think, later in the episode, but um, he gets a bad yeah. rap, but he's okay. But Hearn's yeah. better. But just to explain why. So, essentially, um, the, the, the main event at the at Aricon, if you, if you go as part of the team, and most people do, mm-hmm. uh, we went as part, as part of the four person team. So, it was Matt, Evan, myself, and Rob. Um, so if you go as part of a team, you are limited to one named character per team. Mm-hmm. So you're not able to take five Galadriels or five Witch Kings. So initially, I was planning on taking uh, an evil list with the Witch King, but then Evan claimed the Witch King. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to take something else. So I decided to claim Huron, which then Rob couldn't play him. It all so, worked out yeah, at the end, how, though. This so this is how it goes. <laughs> Everything yeah. worked out fine. Yeah. So my list was, um, uh, I call it the mix mix, AKA the battle of uh, Articon Fields, as in the theme, because <laughs> there is no theme in this. Um, so um, it starts with Legolas mounted on a horse uh, from the host of Thranduil. He leads L- eight elves with shields and five elves with bows, one of whom has an elven glaive, glaive uh, as a spear. Then my second warband is from Minas Tirith, so that's here in the tall mounted uh, with eight words of Minas Tirith with shields and spears and five ranges of Gondor, four of which had spears. And my third warband was uh, Theodred, uh, mounted again with a shield, two riders of Rohan with throwing spears, three warriors of Rohan with bows, and six warriors of Rohan with shields and throwing spears. So essentially my list was uh, 40 models, 15 bows plus Legolas, and I also had uh, eight throwing spears. So it relied heavily on basically hoping to play against armies with lower defense, maybe higher numbers, and shoot them down as much as I could. Because um, my thinking generally was there will be less Galadriels because she's not she's no longer such a such a such a um, heavily used model. There will be less possibility of shadow lords because there's one per team. There will be less possibility of Cairdons because there's one per team. So whereas um, in the masters I was running into Kerdans and being unable to do anything, in this tournament I was able to actually shoot and that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was able to actually use my army. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, forty models. So yeah, let's let's go let's go into into your first game, Rob. Yeah, you you went uh, you went wide. I kind of went tall. So mm. I went with the with the. With the idea you that you didn't go with her in, did you? I didn't go with her in. Not the her tall. in the tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went well, with Faramir fair. the average, but um, I think had we sat down and discussed it, it would have made sense to take Faramir just because Hurin didn't really have any bonuses for my army anyway. <laughs> yeah. And and then you could have used Hurin because 
<laughs> he would actually grant you many bonuses. It's many like, bonuses, well, especially, yeah. especially especially the one main bonus that he has, which is um, the fact that you can just send in Boromir, let him die, and not lose your. Uh, and let me tell you that um, that very fact, because I'm used to playing Boromir and Hurin, so I'm used to being aggressive with Boromir, knowing that if things go horribly wrong, I'm okay. I did that a couple times, yeah. and then I was like, "Oh crap, <laughs> that, that's not Hurin. That's Faramir." <laughs> Um, yeah, so so actually, yeah. to be fair, I, sh I should have maybe maybe. Yeah, what, you know what? Honestly, it was it was but fun to try him out. So Faramir <laughs> has some bonuses. He has a shield, so like when yeah. you need to, he can shield with multiple attacks. Yeah. And he um he's a little bit better in a d6 because of the lance. So he wasn't a complete tragedy. He's got a little bit more will, um, and fate. So he's ever so slightly more durable. Uh, and that's the weird thing about Faramir is that on paper. He's a great model, but somehow in game, he just never he brings, he never brings it. I don't know what it is. It's just like the curse of Faramir. So um, comparable to Hurin in every possible metric, except that on the table, Hurin just seems to perform so much better for me every time. Uh, except, but... except at the times when Hurin fights against, against following fat. Well, I but... mean, that's, that's <laughs> forlong the fat, come on. We shall not mention <laughs> that one again. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was Mick piloting Hurin, so. But um, so the, the philosophy for my list was, you know, I had a fairly durable center D6 uh, S slash D7 with fight five. I had a little bit of bow fire. I knew I wasn't going to win any shooting wars, So it was mostly to like threaten horses and things like that. And then I knew that Boromir himself would be a target unless there was a second threat on the table. Right. So Madrill was kind of a flex character. He's there for Maelstrom. He's got March. He's got a lot of might. But if, if you don't have two mounted heroes that are going in, then your opponent can very easily neutralize one mounted hero. Right. Um, so Anyway, so game one, so, uh, right? That's quick, what we're quick, talking about. Quick question yeah, bef go ahead. before you go into game one, because um, this is important sort of formation-wise. Um, did your warriors of Minas Tirith have shields or spears and shields? They had shields uh, and were in front of the okay. fountain court. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. what, what was the philosophy um, behind that? Um, there really wasn't a philosophy. There was, man, I really need to write this list and I can't take all fountain court, which is my usual go-to. Mm. And that really sucks. But um, it, I mean, here's the thing, like your front rank is going to die throughout the course of the game. It's going to get hit all by all of the big heroes. All the big heroes are going to have pluses to wound. And so if you have the warriors up front, um, you're going to lose out on scenarios where like you have to take courage tests and stuff because obviously they don't have bodyguard. But if they're the ones that are dying early, they're, they're not the ones that are dying late, right? And I found in the late mm -hmm. game, having the bodyguarded D7 with spears everywhere is usually um, a lot better. So it's like, as your opponent starts to lose resources and his army starts to run out of steam with casualties and everything, your army just gets more durable. Um, whereas if he spends all his resources to kill the best parts of your army and then is stuck with a bunch of crappy warriors, um, he's not too afraid of it, right? Uh, not to mention, like, if you're on objectives and you need, you know, and you're broken and you start having to take tests and that kind of thing. So um, the and then, you know, they the warriors in front, you know, do nominally get D7 for shield wall sometimes if your opponent doesn't know how to target correctly. But at Articon, that never came into play because everyone who goes to Articon knows how to target your warriors correctly. So I just kind of assumed that they would be the D6 wall and that they would die the way d6 dies but that you know the army would get tougher as you kill through it um and then i have a lot of might usually more might than my opponent because 12 is kind of a lot for 650 they're usually somewhere between eight and nine and so as their resources shift outward i start to kind of get more of an advantage and keep the momentum at least in theory right um in practice i would 
you know, most games I was like, why didn't I just take all fountain court? I should have just dropped two models and taken all fountain court. What are you thinking? Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> like all fountain court is always superior. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the basic philosophy was just, I needed, I needed a few more bodies because 650 gets tight. Warriors are cheaper. And I, I kind of would rather have them up front and let them, let them be the first line, especially because they're going to be fight five in the battle line with the fountain court behind them. It also kind of extends how far you can put Boromir's banner because he only needs to reach the second rank. He doesn't need to reach the, the front rank necessarily, which sometimes does come into play. Um, so generally that's the thinking. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't play all fountain court. It's better. <laughs> I just feel like if you if you just yeah if you just played all fountain court then like yeah. you just don't have any issues of like oh well I have to I have to think of a way to maybe yeah. not lose too many models or oh what if what if what if I don't have bodyguard later on you do yeah <laughs> and, and, and that's yeah, the thing is usually it's... I play all fountain court and in this time I was like oh but if I if I went with the all fountain court I would probably only have like twenty eight models that seems really low for six fifty. Um, I should probably downgrade some to warriors, get a few extra bodies in there. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I never missed the extra bodies, but I certainly missed bodyguard mm -hmm. and defense seven. So, but I mean, I think it's kind of like a, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes at the end of the day. I'm not, I'm not sure that it ever, except for maybe the absolute last game where it would have been crucial for reasons we'll get to later in the podcast. I don't think there was ever a time where it really super cost me a game. Like there were times it was annoying where, you know, a warrior would run away or, you know, he'd be killed on a five when a six would have been needed for a fountain court. But it, it certainly wasn't, you know, the determinative thing that, you know, made or, or broke my tournament results kind mm -hmm. of thing. So, so that's a very long way to answer that question that I said, I didn't really put much thinking into, but apparently I did just subconsciously. Apparently so, you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, unless this is, either this that or you're, or you're, you're just putting, coping well i think it's one of those things you know when you play an army so long that you just don't think about it anymore you just in the back of yeah. your head you already know what it does and so you go through the entire decision making process so fast that you don't really think about what you thought about that's kind of where i am with Midas Tirith. that's just i play the army so often that those are all the considerations i would have had but i never really actively considered them it just kind of automatically i wrote the army right um the big thing for me was always how many cav how many bows but but yeah so um shall we go oh. to round one all right round one round one all right so Wait, actually oh. one thing no <laughs> at this point let's get on to the games let's get right, on so, to the games um, just just so you know we haven't talked about evan's list because evan's uh list and uh tournament report is going to be in the next episode so yes tune into the next episode so evan is our designated heckler yes yes yeah. he, he's I'm here to that, mock so. he's here to mock our inadequacies yeah. so <laughs> of which we'll strap in you're about to see many would ask. <laughs> all right let me pull up i'm i'm, I'm going on tourney here to kind of refresh myself yeah okay yep. so round one uh, the scenario was domination okay great and yes. i i started so um at this articon the like top 12 tables or something like that were on like a higher yeah. area 
um, where all yeah. of the one percenters got to play. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that was an area. So if you weren't there, Articon was like playing games inside of an active oven. It was just baking hot. But the VIP area had like dedicated fans. So I got to start <laughs> my tournament up in the VIP area, I assume by random draw. And I knew that that was horrible because I would have flown too close to the sun and know what I was missing when I plummeted back down with Actually, the plebs. To, be, to, be, <laughs> so, to be fair, the sun was down there. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so it was up on the, the, uh, was in the main, main up range. on the mezzanine. Um, the scenario ended up being um, domination, so an objective scenario, neither particularly good nor bad for me. Uh, and my opponent was Michael Van Bylen. He was, I believe, he was from Belgium. We discussed a very, very nice guy, and he was essentially playing a mirror match to mine, um, more or less. So he had. Uh, he also had Gondor, but he he went with King LSR on armored horse with. Eight warriors, two knights, and eight uh, fountain guard. Then he had her in the tall on horse. Good for you, right choice. Um, with four warriors and four citadel guard. And then his third um, war band was a Avenger bolt thrower with swift reload. So um, when we got to the table, it was it was a it was like a Minas Tirith ruins themed table where you had a completely open center and then like four of the like Minas Tirith ruins kind of at an angle around it and then there might have been some forests or something in the corner but it was mostly just like this wide open plaza flanked by a couple buildings uh and i looked at that and i was like this is miserable for me like his army is mine but better at killing mine right because he's got Andoril, which just goes through doesn't matter if you're fountain quarter warriors like it goes through you he's got her in with his plus one to wound and then he's got the bolt thrower which um which is just going to like light me to pieces right and it's domination so i have to go to the center to get the objective like i can't like try to avoid him or something we just have to fight it out uh, and so our objectives got placed in kind of like a classic X shape, right? You had one in the middle, he put two behind like the ruins, I put two behind the ruins, nothing, no, nothing tricky about flipping the table, we knew we were just going to have a pretty straight up like battle line fight. And then he deployed his bolt thrower on one of the buildings overlooking the battlefield within like 12 inches of the center and I'm like oh this sucks Whoa. right like I can't I can't avoid it I can't get to it if I don't I have to roll a six to charge it because it's right up on the edge right so like this thing is just going to sit there shoot off my spears kill all my heroes like this is going to be miserable but like really when, when, when people do that <laughs> well I mean but the, it's the right call right like he made yeah, the right yeah. play uh, I would have done the same thing, um, but I was like, oh, well, this is going to be a great start. That's going to be an 0-12 loss right there, but um, but it actually ended up going pretty well. So I put my my army deployed fairly standard, like um, I deployed kind of up towards the objective with my battle line. I had Boromir flanked by like three in the ways of knights just to make sure the bolt thrower doesn't kill him immediately. Um, and I put my rangers, uh, most of them up onto the um, ruins themselves. So they kind of had like a nice vantage point to shoot from as well. And then the objectives were kind of underneath the ruins. So they were also contesting the objective, which, you know, would, would be gate for later turns. Uh, he won the first priority movement was pretty much what you would expect. I shuffled forward because I was like, well, I have to just get in. I have to get into a fight with you. There's no use in like, you know, sitting around and waiting for you to come to me or something. He kind of shuffled his battle line a little. And then the first shooting phase comes. I'm like, great, here it comes. Rolls his swift rerolled, six shots. Awesome. First shot hits, goes through first of the way, goes through second in the way, goes through third in the way, horse or rider, rider, wounds Boromir. I'm like, 
and there's five more of these to come, right? Um, roll my fate, fails the fate. And I was like, oh my God, roll my right. fate. Okay, I passed the fate. So I've got Boromir already on one fate with the first shot of the bolt thrower. Um, and I was like, well, this is gonna be, this is gonna be interesting. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna stop this. But by some small mercy, like all the rest of his five shots, I think three or four of them hit. Uh, some of them got through uh, the in the ways. Um, none of them ended up wounding Boromir. Like he just failed to wound on the rest of them. And one of them, I think like dehorsed a knight. It didn't kill him. It just dehorsed him. So like given what, what it could have been based on how it started, it actually turned out really okay for me, right? Like Boromir didn't actually take a wound, which matters because that's a, that's a scenario point, right? Wounding leader. He still had his horse. Everybody else that needed to had their horse and, and I wasn't like mauled. And then here comes the miracle, right? So it goes to my shooting phase and I'm like, well, I'm just going to shoot you back. Like I don't expect much. And then my like five plucky rangers within the ways for the building in kill all of the crew. They just like showed up and they're like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to shoot the crew. I might as well get rid of them. Like I, I can't have this thing shooting my butt all game. And they're just like, yeah, you got it, boss. And they're just like, hit, made the end away, like kills the crew. Hit, made the end away, kills the crew. I felt yep. so bad, right? Because it was like, oh, this is the first shooting phase. And like, I've mauled his bolt thrower. And that no, was- You feel bad. After, I feel after bad. Like that shouldn't happen, right? Like that's- that's that's like just luck of the dice, right? Um, like five yeah, but rangers, his right? Already did way more than than average, would suggest. Well, I mean, true, right? <laughs> but so, like, that was my lifeline. Once that thing was basically offline, I was like, okay, now I can actually play a game because so this thing is the just game. Gonna be... The game was going badly until you pulled out the the loaded dice, is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. So I um the thing that they didn't realize it was so hot in that room that I could just leave him sitting on the table, and it was like a microwave, right? So. But yeah, so, and, and then after that, it became, um, it just became kind of a battle line slog, right, where uh, I rushed into his lines, Boromir had initially jumped kind of underneath the ruin just in case, uh, and he had spread out, LSR was kind of trapped behind his lines a little bit because I was able to rush him so quickly that he wasn't able to create very good openings, right, and I kind of like flanked around, so all LSR could really do all game was like go into a warrior, combat off of him into maybe another warrior or like come back to be a banner but i was able to kind of keep him from just like rolling into a flank and going through my lines and because of the fight five down the battle line most of my fights i was even if i wasn't killing i was winning right because i was just pushing him off and i kept pushing closer towards his objectives eventually um i created a gap for boromir and he just went in and started killing warriors uh he had her in kind of coming around the flank and so i sent faramir to go play with her in um and my oath that i had selected was kill the most expensive model that's not your leader which was her in so i knew i needed to kill him anyway and i figured go show your quality faramir and you know just throughout the normal course of the game eventually like he got bogged down because i was getting the numerical advantage and i managed to around her and then kill him um and and that was basically the game in, in the end faramir who was able to keep his horse was able to like go around and claim one objective i was pushing on one flank and so i got enough warriors to go over and claim the other one i still had my rangers sitting on my two so i ended up getting all of the objectives and uh boromir boromir didn't get hurt um after the initial you know butt pucker moment of getting hit by the bolt thrower uh lsr was fine he i, I dehorsed him at some point but he didn't get hurt either which i didn't expect to um and yeah and it was it was a fairly it was a fairly standard slog after that point so and i just because of the fight five and the banner uh everywhere i was just kind of winning the attrition war more than anything and once lsr was off his horse 
you know, if I won priority, I'll send a guy into you or block you off. So he was never able to really get traction with him. Um, and I ended up winning the game. I, I don't remember the points, but it was, it was a pretty sizable uh, victory, like eight to two or something like that, plus oath. So, so what, what looked on paper to be um, a pretty, uh, pretty hard, like uphill climb turned out, turned out pretty well for me. And uh, it was a good start to the tournament. My, um, my opponent was a really nice guy. He played a, he played a good game. He just, the luck went against him at the wrong moments. And at that, at that point it was kind of an uphill uphill fight for him but he was a good spirit about all of it there was even a moment where like I was about to make a really stupid move and he's like no don't do that like move your guy here and so he, he was a really good guy and you know thank you for the game my friend I really enjoyed it um and yeah and so I started I started on a high note so nice in a minister civil war a minister civil war if he's here in shows his worth so I don't, Faramir, Faramir eventually got Hurin because like Hurin went into a combat and I think I won it because he didn't strike, but I have fight five and I won the roll off and I killed his mm -hmm. horse and then Faramir went into him and I think he was out of might, he might have struck up just to like guarantee it, but by that point he was surrounded so there was really no hope of him living mm -hmm. through it, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Very I mean, nice. I, th I think you did a you did a good job of neutralizing the the two big threats, which were one the bolt thrower, which obviously um you, yeah, you got a bit, well, a bit well, lucky well on that. <laughs> All well, I definitely there. got um, lucky there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Aragorn. Yeah, Aragorn was going to be sort of what what kept him in the game because obviously yeah. uh, your battle line beats his battle line in the fight because mm -hmm. you've got the the banner of Minas Tirith, um, but being able to prevent Aragorn from doing a bunch of damage. Um, yeah, and I've, I've, I think probably won you the game. I, I've suffered in that mirror match before where Aragorn would just like go into the fountain court and kill like four a turn and just mm -hmm. like go through me because of Andoril. Um, so none of my advantages mattered. So I've kind of just become good at neutralizing LSR. And I think being able to kind of trap him behind his battle line a little bit and never really let him get good traction because I had like one flank covered and the other flank covered. So he never really had a good position. Um, the bolt thrower was obviously just fluke. That was pure luck. But my plan there was um because it was up high on the ruin it couldn't actually see directly downward right like there was a, a angle at which it could see and so running everything essentially underneath that ruin that's important so that he couldn't shoot the important mm -hmm. stuff sure he'd be able to pick off like isolated archers and whatever but at least he couldn't really get into like the meat of my army that was the plan um which obviously didn't necessarily need to happen at the end because the bolt thrower was neutralized by my sniper rangers but but that was the idea was that at least i wouldn't give him good shots and the bolt thrower wasn't on an objective so if i ignored it but didn't let it get too many good kills um i could at least kind of you know not let it dominate the game but it didn't matter do you think about possibly like sending sending your guys to take control of the bolt thrower and start shooting at him. So I never really thought about it because I didn't know if you could do it, and because so uh, I don't. I think that was I think that was FAQ'd actually, um, where you can't do that. Because I know my father clearly, did, they're, they're did that a couple of times. Warriors, like, clearly they should be able to. Well, they should be able to, but I didn't think of it anyway because by that point, like, um, I was I was just trying to play my game right and not be tricky and just. Just let my army do what it does, which is shove a bunch of fight five guys at you that every so often kill something while the two big heroes are the ones who actually kill models. So mm -hmm. uh, Madrill um, was a standout, you know, like he just kind of sat halfway between the objective and the battle line, calling the moves and, you know, plugging the flank because him and 
him and a couple warriors could always, if he got through with a night or something, they could jump on him safely without worrying about it. So Madrill was awesome. Um, I, I never regret taking him. Like he always does outstandingly for me, even in non maelstrom missions, but, but yeah, started with luck and ended with, and ended with pretty standard kind of fight that went my, my direction. Mm. So. Yeah. Great. You know, Madril is always a standout because uh, you just have all that might, all those might points, but you're not gonna use them anywhere else other than for yeah. every move. He moves and he marches, and that's all he needs to do. And then occasionally, yeah. like a yeah. cheeky combat if it's a really favorable fight. But yeah, yeah, but he's great for his cost. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. And you know what? He has a bow with might behind it, and that wasn't irrelevant yeah. either. So he's got. Oh, and he has woodland creature. That's the other thing. People always forget he has woodland creature. And so like occasionally he'd like run through a wood and catch somebody unawares uh, or I'd have to remind them, be like, I know you're positioning there, but you do remember Madrill has woodland creature, right? And they'd be like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to take that back. So, so he was really good at just being annoying the entire tournament. Mm -hmm. Cool. So moving on to, on to, on to my game. Uh, I love domination. It's one of my various scenarios, except when you have to play against an army that is huge. Or bigger than yours. <laughs> yeah. So I got thrown up against David Messenger, who uh, was playing an army of Lake Down with an allied Bilbo. So he had 56 models. Um, the list general was Master of Lake Down, leading um, 14 uh, warriors. Then there was Bard with his kids, leading 13 warriors. Alfred, leading 11 warriors. Braga leading 11 uh, leading 11 warriors and Bilbo with Sting in the ring. So um, 56. So <laughs> naturally, it's one of those things of like, oh, I really wanted to like have a nice game against the hordes that I can shoot them down. <laughs> but now there's a horde that takes up takes up all the objectives and just runs me over. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> from the very beginning, I was thinking, okay. As long as I don't lose like 10-0 or something like that, then it's a win for me. So we basically set up uh, both battle lines set up in the middle. Uh, and like pretty much two minutes after, after I finished setting up, I realized I actually picked the wrong side because um, uh, I, I didn't think about pick, picking a side that was like a east-west sort of situation. I was, I was only looking at north-south. North mm -hmm. And I realized had I, had I picked an east-west, the, the game would have been much more in my favor. But anyway, so um, the game sort of started with um, both of our battle lines very close to each other, and I I managed to um, to plug to sort of plug holes in in uh, in between buildings where I was really able to uh, stop his numerical advantage from 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 making much of an advantage. So he had like a bunch of archers. I think it was like all all his thirteen archers or so. They were only like able to like stand behind the wood and like. Go, go around the forest in order in order to like spend like four or five turns to to to, to reach one of my side objectives so um i just wanted to make sure that um, he won't be able to do very much uh with those numbers and um i put my theodred in the front rank then i put my legolas and Huron in the back rank but, but i was thinking if i managed to to get a, a heroic move up in the first turn or priority or anything that call, call a move then I'm actually gonna move my warriors aside and just charge in with Legolas and Huron as well. So it just so happened that uh, on the first turn, I um, I won a heroic move roll off against Braga. I think I think his uh, his Braga's might point was free, and um, I spent I spent my point. Um, Erkenbrand got into some warriors, 
some 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 of my other warriors got into uh, got into um, Bard, who was mounted also in the front rank, very close to uh, Theodred. Um, yeah, and then I basically charged in with with my Legolas and Huron. So the idea was to cut down as much as you can from early on. So I got lucky in the first turn in that um, my opponent only rolled a four for Bard, fighting against two warriors supported. So I was able to get him to burn two points of might to win nice. to win a fight. Nice. Otherwise, he would have lost his horse. So that was that was a major major thing for me at the start because that that really slowed him down from, from killing throughout the game. Uh, mm, Theodred, Legolas, Huron really started cutting things down. So despite the fact that my opponent had his banner and um, uh, from from master, I was like really able to like start 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 taking advantage in the middle throughout the first few turns and. Um, Bilbo was always going to be annoying, but I basically like position all of my stuff in a way that whenever one of my heroes would charge into combat, I would always put multiple models around him just so just so Bilbo could never get in. So that was ensuring that I was I was actually able to win to win fights against all that stuff. So um, yeah, surprisingly, from from this very start, the game started going my way quite 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 far. Um, then. On like this, the third turn, I think, Alfred decided to uh, give all of his will points to uh, to give three might to uh, to the master uh, because master had already used two might points uh, on the banner. And Alfred rolled a triple one, oh. so Alfred popped all his might points, <laughs> and the banner was no more. Oh, oh. Alfred, right? you. <laughs> she says, <laughs> the hammer, like, did well, did Alfred spend these three might points? <laughs> oh, it, I have to tell you, later on, Alfred was actually getting into combat, calling heroic moves, and he even called a heroic combat in, in one in one in one instance. Oh. <laughs> like he was trying to kill an elf with like another two guys, and but the elf actually managed to win to win combat because he was shielding. So in the end, <laughs> Alfred's inability to do anything was <laughs> useless. But yeah, the, the, the triple one really helped in, uh, in, in my troops being able to outfight him with my fight five and he was only defense four. Um, yeah, so that helped. Um, so once uh, Legolas and Huron bro broke through uh, through the middle, uh, I managed to also engage his master of down. So uh, there was this weird situation where I was fighting with two guys against Master, and Master was supported by, by a Spearman. But the way that the Spearman was standing was that if I sent a third guy into both the Spearman and the Master, then I was able to actually trap the Master had the Spearman been able to... I mean, to, uh, if, if, if my guys win, wins combat, then, then he stands there, Spearman gets, gets pushed away, and then the Master, should he lose the combat, he, he ends up being trapped. So my opponent saw that and um, obviously fought his uh, his uh, I used his priority to to fight against my my, uh, my, my one elf who was fighting against, against his human. I shielded in order to win the fight. I won and then master fighting against two, two guys lost combat and trapped died in that in that in that one combat. Woo. So that was that was quite lucky for me too. Mm -hmm. So everything was really going my way, um, and I managed to to, to set up the, the situation where. I was like taking my time to really like count points for everything for, for every objective. I actually managed to get a model uh, within within three inches of every single objective, and um, I figured that let's let's say I was able to control the middle objective. I had 
one on my uh, bottom right flank. I had the one in the in the bottom in, in the in the top right flank for for just having more models on it. Um, then I had a guy on the on the top left, and I had Theodred in the, in the in the bottom left. So I was like, I sort of figured this the situation where after after the general point and after the breaking point, I think I, I was on like seven two, and the time runs out, and I pass the turn to, to my opponent. And I and just before I did, I counted everything. I figured, even if everything goes wrong, even if I break, lose the guy in the top left, lose Theodred in, in the bottom left, and um, he basically does everything right, I cannot lose this game. The worst possible score is a six-five to me. Mm -hmm. So I pass the turn. There's no more time on the clock. I'm like relieved that I've won it, regardless what happens. Mm -hmm. He starts doing his courage test, and then he picks up a guy that I didn't see that was hiding behind the tent. Oh. <laughs> he takes a courage test. He moves in within three inches of my of my top right objective, and he and he makes the uh, the number of models on that objective as a, as, a, as a two two. So it's a tie. Oh. So then, <laughs> after that, everything goes right for him. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> So he kills my third dread. He kills my my one guy on the other objective. Uh, I believe he breaks me as well, and so uh, it ended up being a five-five final score, oh, only because I did not see this one guy. Oh <laughs> it no! Was, it was this annoying situation where I had I had one of my elves, and I was like, mm, there's, there's no there's nothing here to, to to do. Maybe I'll just oh no, I'll just move him here to the side. There's there's nothing for me to do with this guy. And he had literally been standing next to that guy. Oh no! <laughs> Sorry, oh <Terry>. no! <laughs> but I just didn't see that there was some, someone behind, standing behind the tent. And then he moves on, and again he has five five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, a heartbreak! Yeah, that's a heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> he kept you but blind to all well. else that moves, right? Yeah, but it was just going so well for the entire game. I was like, wow, I'm actually managing to take this. And I'm, and I'm winning this, and, I, and I'm gonna win it. I'm, it's, this is this like I, this is such a miraculous win. And then, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm draw, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was it was a it was a really good game, and um, uh, I, I managed to get Bilbo to do basically pretty much nothing for the entire game, and he was one of the big threats, especially with with such high numbers. Mm -hmm. So I was I was in the end quite quite satisfied with how I played. Um, it was just one mistake essentially that kind of cost. Well, the, and you know what that points. happens sometimes, right? You play you yeah. can play a a you know more or less perfect game and still lose or draw if just something doesn't yeah. go your way, right? That's yeah. that's just how it goes. So yeah, or like in the, in this case, it's it's not that something didn't go my way. I just it it was already two hours of a very intensive game, mm -hmm. and then I just I just missed the model. Yeah. And so that happens. Sometimes, sometimes something stands behind behind a tree, behind a ruin. You just you just don't look, and then that changes the course of the game. Well, and and that's something to remember. Like you know, it's hot in the room. You've already been playing for several days, right? You're tired because it's a mentally challenging game. Like this thing, this kind of stuff happens, right? Your endurance runs out at some point. So oh yeah, that was like game game eleven yeah. of my. Or, or, yeah. Well, actually, game game thirteen if we if we count friendlies. So yeah, exactly. Of last, so of the last four days. <laughs> yeah. So it happens. Yeah. All we can do is, you know, 
try and make as few mistakes as possible. And yeah. sometimes things slip through the cracks. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to your second game, Rob? My second game. Oh, this. So of all the games, I think this one's going to haunt me forever the most. Um, so uh, the, uh, you know, I had won the first game fairly convincingly on points. So I got to stay up in the nice air conditioned area. Um, and I dared to dream for ever so slight of a moment. Uh, scenario two was Reconnoiter, which is, mm -hmm. again, it's not a scenario that's particularly good or bad for me necessarily. Um, it just depends on what I fight against. If I fight against an army like you uh, had, Mick, that's pretty bad for me. Uh, as it turns out, I fought another mirror match. So it was another Yay. Gondor army. Um, did he have a Huron? Uh, he did not have a Huron. He had something oh. worse than a Huron. So despite the fact that this was a uh, Minas Tirith army nominally, the first model was Gwehir, who was also the leader. The second model was Boromir of the White Tower, a horse, shield, and lance with uh, seven warriors with shield, uh, two with shield and spear, five rangers, and then a guy with a banner. And then his third warband was Irolas with six warriors with a shield, two warriors with a shield and spear, and four rangers. So on the numbers, we were, we were just about equal on numbers, except he had, um, he had a good deal more bows than I did. And most crucially, he had a really angry eagle with three might and a Boromir with six might and a lance. And so kind of like the last game, I was like, oh God, I'm hosed, right? Because um, we essentially have the same battle line, except your heroes are way better than my heroes. And they're going to chew through my battle line easily. You've got a big flying monster who's going to, you know, hurl through everything. And then in a pinch, if you need to, he can fly off and there's basically nothing I can do to stop him. Um, and, and I was looking at it and I was like, well, okay, you know, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do my best. The, the table I was playing on, ironically, was exactly the same table, so I didn't even have to move. Um, so as I said, it was like a big wide open center, and then like each corner had like a ruin in it, which kind of, it, it, it separated the battlefield into three quadrants, right, or three like lanes. So it became very clear immediately that, you know, we were going to be fighting in, in, in the three lanes. And, you know, for me, looking at the game was like, okay, so you're going to break me. I'm probably not going to break you because my heroes are going to be too busy dealing with your heroes and your heroes are just faster, better um, at doing that. Um, I am, my job is to just contain Gwehir and Boromir and try to get people off the board because I think that if I am keeping your heroes contained, I could probably start to win some of those like side fights um, and I had a good defense, so I could probably weather the bow fire fairly easily. Um, I had Madrill that could go down one side and like march forward. Um, and that was kind of the general idea, but I didn't have a lot of hopes for the game because I thought, you know, honestly, all he had to do was fly in Gwei here, hurl a combat off of me, take him off the board for all he cares, and then just hold me in place with his numerically superior army, right? Um, I'm in models again? He was at 30 and I was at 31, but he did have okay. the eagle, right? Um, mm -hmm. So he shoots me down a little bit early, uh, Boromir combats through a few troops, and then he just creates a picket line, flies off with the eagle, and there's not a lot I can do. Um, as mm -hmm. it turns out, um, he deployed everything centrally. I deployed 
uh, I played like a little mini battle line with Boromir and Faramir in the center. I put Madrill kind of off to one side because I figured he would just kind of go down the bowling lane. And then I scattered some rangers on the other side. And um, and like I had like one knight on one side, one knight on another. And then like my other horseman was kind of, he could go either way. And it was, it was really more about that cat and mouse game reconnoiter where you first kind of see where they're going to show up so you know how to position. Um, oh, obviously it's Maelstrom, but I had Madrill. So all my stuff came on and all his stuff, I believe came on either within one turn or two. So nothing dramatic there. Uh, and yeah, and so, you know, I kind of picketed the center a little and I started moving um, troops down either side just so I'd have the option. And then I had Boromir kind of in the center and Faramir next to him so they could go either way. And Madrill was gonna shepherd um, some, some troops down this way. And he put everything in the center and crucially he put the two big heroes in the center, right? I think Erolas ended up deploying where Madrill was. So they were gonna have like a, a slap fight there. And um, and so my, my kind of, my job here was if those two heroes stay together they're just gonna go through my army and just like go through it piece by piece. So I need to bait him to split them up because I feel like I can deal with them individually um, but collectively, like they're going to be really hard to deal with, especially if they both end up jumping on like Boromir or something, right? Because if he's fighting both, he's dead. And, you know, we did the cat and mouse thing. I ended up kind of baiting him by throwing Faramir down one flank with a couple knights. And it was clear they were just going to book it up the side. So he had to start dealing with them. Madrill was doing what he was going to do. He was going up the other side and Boromir was kind of dancing around in the center, just baiting him to come at him. And he did exactly what I, what I wanted to do. And he threw Boromir to one flank and Gwehir to the other one. So now I'm like, okay, good. So now I can, I can kind of keep one of the heroes entertained with Faramir, who I don't care about. And if he manages to get troops off, whatever, right? And then I've got, I've got Boromir to just play with an eagle, which isn't a great fight, but I'm fight seven. I have six might. Like if he goes for Boromir, I feel like I could probably keep the eagle entertained. Um, and... And then I just kept like a line in the center to keep him from being able to break through easily with the, the troops he had in the center. Um, and as it so turned out, so Boromir did Boromir things, right? He went in on like a ranger and he combated off of him, but I was able to create kind of like a line of troops to make sure that Boromir had to essentially combat through them before he could get to me. And Faramir was able to just book it down the side with a knight um, and and he was now in actual threat range of getting that knight off the board, right? He managed to survive from bow fire. Worth. Yeah, he was proving his worth for now. Um, he was he was able to survive the bow fire because luckily all of his rangers kept hitting him and not his horse, uh, or they'd hit the knight. And it eventually came to a place where Faramir and the knight were kind of in the back ruin and they were essentially ready to take off. And so he was kind of playing catch up to kind of get troops around them. And Boromir was basically going to be playing um, playing there all game and he wasn't gonna be able to get anything off on that side. So in the end, he didn't get his knight off. Like I lost, I lost the wrong priority. So he wasn't able to book it. And then he was able to like jump on Faramir and, and combat off of him eventually. But essentially half his army was tied up with Faramir at one night and like, two fountain guard or something on an entire flank and so that meant that a lot of a lot of the numbers were the heat was off of me there right the guys in the center weren't going to get through my little picket line and so really the whole game kind of at that point focused on the flank where I had Madrill Boromir and you know two knights and a sizable contingent against an eagle and just like a small line of warriors with a Rolas. And I was able, so the eagle was going in he he went in on into the ruin itself to kill 
I think he jumped on like a ranger or something, failed to kill the ranger. And then for several turns, I kept winning priority and was able to keep the Ooh. eagle pinned in the corner of the board for several turns. And because of the way the ruin was, um, it was kind of like a corner with no windows, so he couldn't see out of it. So even if he won and combated, he couldn't charge anything because he didn't have line of sight with the eagle. Oh, and I'm wow. like, oh, goodness, this is my chance. Like, here we go. So like Boromir immediately booked it forward out of cover because I was able to, again, like start stacking uh, models so he couldn't land anywhere. And if he wanted to land, he'd have to charge and then either barge or combat. And in the meanwhile, Boromir took his little like flanking party. Um, broke through his little like defense area mostly killed Irolas and and I mostly had control of that side and my my knight uh, or my citadel guard was on the other side of of that and was within one turn of getting off like all I had to do was win a priority and get him off win a roll off and get him off and I was like oh my god I actually feel pretty good about this so at this point I'm broken because Eagle and Boromir um, but Boromir is unhurt and I'm very, very close to getting a model off the board, and that would that would be enough, right? And and then the Mick moment started, right? Like it went from everything going my way to like suddenly everything starts turning the other way. Um, so Gray here eventually was able to free himself, and then um, like start going through models. Like Boromir kept bouncing off stuff. Like I couldn't win a priority, so he would tie up the knight who wouldn't die, but like he would just tie me in that corner. And ultimately, it finally came down to a fact where it was, it became very clear that the person who wins priority wins the game, right? It basically was that simple because I win, the night runs off, we had to call over a judge to like confirm um, what getting off the board means, like there was no ambiguity, like I win priority, uh, like two turns in a row or something like that, or a heroic move roll off, my guy's off the board, he wins priority, the eagle gets into the night, and that's that's basically game because I'm broken and I can't get anyone off. And so obviously what happened was, you know, I kept losing priority, I kept losing uh, the move offs, the eagle finally chewed his way all the way up the flank to my one night, and at that point we were at time, right? So even though I had other models that could have theoretically made it off the board, there just wasn't enough movement phases to do it, even with a march. So it all came down to like, all right, we're going to roll this and we're going to roll. Whoever wins priority wins the game. Didn't go to me. He was able to get into the night. He go here. Oh. He ate him, right? Like there was nothing that I was able to do. Um, Boromir could have theoretically then gotten off the turn uh, off the board because he was like within like 11 inches or something, but there wasn't enough time to get him off on, on just like game time. And so like at the end of the day, uh, I was broken. He wasn't, and nobody got anything off the board. Both of our leaders took a wound at that point, and so he took it on on the break. So it was heartbreaking because you know I felt like I played it right. I was able to neutralize or like separate the threats. I was able to pin the eagle for like most of the game, which. Um, at that point, I think if I was him, I would have just cut my losses and, like I said, flown him off and put the pressure on me to really get off. Um, and even if I got it off at that point, he would still have me on the break, right? Um, but yeah, it was a really good game. It was a really close game. I don't think I actually mentioned it. The um, the player, his name was um, Eric Regoli from Team uh, Italy. Really nice guy, really good player, um, distractingly handsome. Like he was one of those people, it was like playing against an Armani billboard. I swear to God, it was like a chiseled Roman <laughs> statue standing across the table from me. Um, and we had a really good game. Like there was moments where it got like really tense, not in like an unfriendly way, but it was like, can I move there? Like if I can sneak through there, that guy gets off and, you know, will this go, will go this way, that way. Uh, and it was, it was really close in the end. Um, unfortunately, 
my plan stopped working uh, towards the end of the game and I was not able to get anyone off, even though like I was within striking distance like three or four times and, and he took a hard fought, a hard fought game. So that mm. put me on a win and a loss. Um, but I'm actually, I, I was, I was fairly proud of how I played. Um, I don't think I made any major mistakes. Like there's nothing I look back on and think, uh, you shouldn't have done that. That would have, you know, you could have won the game if you didn't do that. Um, baiting using Faramir as bait, how very Dareth Denethor of me ended up being the right play because it meant that Boromir spent the entire game killing Faramir, um, and not doing anything else. Right. Way here, I was able to kind of neutralize. Yes, there was some luck there, but trapping him in a corner without line of sight gave me the time I needed. And sometimes the dice just don't go your way. That's just the game, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that was my game too. Yeah, no, that sounded really exciting. Yeah, it was a good game. It was a really good one. Very close. And Team Italy, they ended up taking like third place, I think, in the overall tournament. So they're oh, really yeah, good players. Right, right, yeah. 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 Very nice. So, um, my second game, um, I was playing as Joseph, uh, who was playing Kingdom of Castle Doom. Mm -hmm. So Recon, um, that's obviously um, a uh, good, good scenario for larger armies and faster armies. So uh, he had 34 models uh, led by Durin, um, a Dwarf Ballista and a Dwarf King. So from the, from the early on, um, it seemed to me that um, it should be a relatively easy game because uh, I have more models, they are faster, I have cavalry, I have multi heroes. So all I just have to do is block him in the middle somewhere, not allow the ballista to do too much, and then and then run off some models. So it turned out to be a really bizarre game in that um, I think Joseph from the early on might have realized that I have a huge advantage. So I believe um, it was almost like he decided to instead of instead of trying to stop me from getting off, he decided to like try to uh, deny me as many victory points as he mm. could. I believe because um, I would basically try to um, position my models in a way to stop him from walking off, and then he would decide, okay, I'm just gonna walk in the other direction. So he would be trying to avoid combat and walk into places that I didn't really expect, and then just leave massive gaps where I was able to walk my army off. So I quite quickly realized that um, I will be able to walk more models off the board than, than, than he will. And I sort of thought to myself, well, if, if you want to move off your 20, with your 20 dwarves and let me move off my, my 40 elves or, or whatever else <laughs> I have, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's kind of how the game went throughout. throughout. <laughs> um, his, his ballista, uh, that was that was a bit of a worry. Um, he but uh, it was positioned in a way that I was able to for most of the most of the game keep my guys like be, behind some sort of buildings and not actually give the ballista line of sight. So but the ballista fired once in the entire game. It fired over two fences and it hit Theodred and dismounted him. Oh. So that was that was unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then afterwards. Um, I had a situation where I managed to actually get uh, Legolas and Huron into, into a heroic combat together, and then they jumped 10, 10 inches forward, and then the next turn charged both of the, of the, of the Blistar um, uh, engineers. So essentially, uh, the game sort of ended with him walking off, I believe, like 17 models, and me walking off like 28, and nobody breaking, no leader points. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and like essentially towards the end, 
Legolas was trying to cause a wound on Durin to, <laughs> to give me the extra VP. Good luck, right? <laughs> yeah, so the very first shot hits. Six, six, yay. <laughs> and then takes the crown side, six, okay. <laughs> and then I never caused another wound. Yeah. So yeah, the game the game was um, the game was really nice. Joe Joe was a really nice guy, and um, we 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 had a fun 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 chat and a fun interaction. But um, yeah, it it was kind of relatively short, and we both just walked off. So I I won three zero in the end by just having more models walking off. So it was hey. it was no nowhere as close or exciting as your game. Yeah, my game was close uh, and exciting, but hey, I'll take an easy walk off sometimes too, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice break, a nice mental break. I've I feel like those are the two ways that Reconnoiter can go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's actually what's caused uh, people's sort of polarizing opinions on Reconnoiter. Because I know a couple of people who absolutely hate Reconnoiter entirely. And they're like, oh, both people just walk off, which mm -hmm. I guess is kind of what happened in Mick's game. Um, but well, I am so of the opinion. And a, a, lot of, a lot of other um, people I know are also of the opinion where it's like, Reconnoiter is just such a fun tactical scenario, obviously, unless you play against like 100 Goblin Town models or something like that, yeah. because you have to you have to figure out like how many guys do I put over here? How many guys mm -hmm. do I put over here? How do I get their heroes um, into the correct position um, and get my heroes in the right place where I can either break through their lines or just try and hold them off in other places? Mm -hmm. So I think generally, if you if you play reconnoiter right i guess um you can have a lot of uh, very fun games that way um and they can be very very close to oh yeah for sure like yeah, if, you, mean, if, um... you, if, if you have to stop an eagle then there's there's no way people are just gonna walk off on both on both sides right like <laughs> well and so i had a i had cavalry i don't uh, he didn't but he had an eagle so like his goal mm -hmm. was get rid of the cavalry my goal was neutralize the eagle right and the angry yeah. boromir with a lance and um and the, like you were saying evan there was this like cat and mouse game for like half of the movement phases just to see when does the opening come and then recognizing the opening and being able to exploit it right takes the game one direction or another yeah. and um and it was definitely as far as the scenario goes but just games in general it was it was one of the tightest games of Lord of the Rings I've played, right? Like I was, I was really good on my positioning. I was really, yes, I got luck some places, but clearly I lost luck other places. It was just, it was a game I'm very proud of, even though it didn't go my way in the end. Um, I actually played Recon at the last Articon where it was against the Mummic War Leader and there was terrain that I hid in. And so he's like, okay. And he just walks his whole army off the board. And then I'm like, oh, well now you've got an elephant and like a full how to off the board. So my task is just how do I get that many models off the board, right? Like. <laughs> So, so this one was really fun. It was really tactical. Um, you know, Gwei here is such an ass. <laughs> He's just so hard to play against, but, um, but like he was exciting. Um, I got a taste of my own medicine and got Boromir. Usually I'm the person Boromiring other people. Re really, really fun. Very much enjoyed it. So, yeah. 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 But that's the thing. Like Recon, Recon is, is, is a really, really good scenario. Like if, if both players commit to actually uh, try, try to stop things and try to move, move your own things off. Cause I'm um, also, uh, I find uh, like most people It's really funny to watch. It's like um, what's who's that um from uh, Finding Nemo? 
is it Dory Nemo where it's like yeah Dory like she'll just like talk very slowly sometimes I think it's like that is he back there he is oh he's back it's my turn better yeah yeah you went into uh you went into slow motion for a minute it was actually really fun to watch yeah I'm sort of in the middle of nowhere here so uh the internet isn't is the best but yeah hopefully that helps um yeah so I was saying that like my favorite thing about Recon is that um, sometimes, say you have like an hour and a half left or, or like an hour and 15 minutes mm -hmm. and your furthest model is like 27 inches away from, from your opponent's portage. And you're like, okay, if, if I'm gonna walk anything off, I basically have to commit the next five turns of at least one, of, one or two of these guys mm -hmm. to be moving at full speed. And in the meantime, I know my opponent is going to do the same. And then how do we, how do we commit mm -hmm. to, to that strategy? And also, since it's still quite early on, how do we even know how many models we can commit to? Because mm -hmm. very often it's like, you just need the extra numbers here or there to stop things, to block things, to shield, to, 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 get, to, to get the surrounds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes committing too many models means suddenly you break and those models actually start running away. Mm -hmm. Or committing too many models means that you you didn't surround a hero and now the hero survives and is actually chopping you down. Yeah. So yeah, I, I find it is like really really tricky scenario to play, especially especially when you when you have a good opponent. Like my game against Evan again um, in the um, in the Masters, no not in the Masters in the in the Masters qualifier. That was super close, mm -hmm. and that was basically just like, does any does either of us even get a model off? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But and when they have just, a when they have a flying so monster, much. right? That's a whole other dimension you have to think about too. Yeah. Right. So so, so like everyone had a Gulavar and, yeah. and then there was like an additional layer to it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's so, a really it can be a scenario that's very rewarding or it can be a scenario that's very boring. And it really depends yeah. on like the opponent, like the mindset, yeah. the armies. So sometimes you have a really tight game that comes down to the literal last dice roll. Other times you both walk your army off. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they happen. Mm -hmm. All right, so round three. Round three. Okay, so having flown too close to the sun and being thrown down to the plebs, um, by, I by by Guai here. By Guai here, you are flying, and they threw you down. I, I thought the eagle yeah. was there to save me. He just threw me into the Mount Doom, right? Yep. Um, so this was, um, the scenario was command the battlefield and I got drawn, uh, drawn against Mark Stone from the team, uh, from team Wanderers in the Wild. What an amazing guy. I was, uh, I was actually, I drove up to Articon with him and a couple of, um, of the other Wanderers guys, uh, really, really great guy. And so after, after having such a, like a tense game, uh, competitive game, I was actually really looking forward to playing, you know, somebody who was a friend, right? Because you could you could have a really good competitive game, but there's just something different about playing someone you know and you're being friendly, right? Um, and he was bringing the uh, the what's it called, the Depths of Moria Legion. So it was a Balrog leading what is it, uh, sixteen goblins with various gear and the goblin drummers. And then a Moria Goblin Captain with uh, six goblins with uh, various gear, some shields, some spears. And then a Black Shield Shaman with six goblins, again, with uh, some shields and some spears. So a horde of, of goblins led by a Balrog. And the scenario was Command the Battlefield. So this is a Maelstrom scenario. And it's the one where you capture the table quarters, but the middle itself doesn't count for anything, right? So you have to be, I think, 12 inches from the center to count for anything. Um, 
I was really looking forward to the game because of the opponent, but then I saw that I was fighting Balrog and a bunch of goblins, and I was like, man, this is actually going to be kind of tricky because he's got he's got a Balrog, right? And um, and so what I what kind of I determined early is if I can, the Balrog only moves six and he can only be so many places, right? So if I can keep the Balrog contained to one area and then just grab the rest of the table quarters then, and keep Boromir away from the Balrog, like that's that's basically my strategy, right? So um, I maelstromed in, um, again, I had Madrill, uh, so it wasn't a problem for me to get on the board. And I kind of, what I essentially ended up doing is I claimed one corner, the center of the board um, and kind of brought in my army in like a bit of an L shape, right? Uh, and figuring that this way I could kind of move into into three quarters, depending on where he goes. And if he comes up behind me, then I just book it and just, you know, abandon the quarter and swarm this way. If he comes in in front of me, then we kind of almost go into a battle line fight, but that way I can get the most models um, across the battlefield while still kind of having some movement options. He ended up getting both of his, his captain and his shaman came on the opposite corner, like, like I mentioned. So he was kind of moving on that way. And then the Balrog and his warband came in in the corner that was kind of above where my army was deploying and so at that point i was like okay so we've got the balrog and most of his goblins in a corner so if i can pin them in that corner for long enough to just like hold them there then what i could theoretically do is i could is i could throw you know a couple rangers and knights into the corners that he's probably never going to get to because of just his slow movement and I can throw my heroes into clearing out another corner and I can just use like an amorphous cloud of warriors to keep the Balrog and some goblins entertained long enough to establish enough of like a battlefield position that at that point he wouldn't catch up. Um, and everything went spectacularly wrong, like spectacularly wrong from the get go. So I, I executed the plan. We had the Balrog came in, I had my cloud and I was like, you know, some warriors are gonna die horrible deaths. It's fine, right? The Balrog has to like slowly combat through him and whatever. Um, Boromir, Faramir and two knights created this little hit squad that like went after the other corner. So I was like, none of my heroes are anywhere near the Balrog except for Madrill who's hiding in a forest um, and just like calling moves. And they're going to clear out the rabble of 12 goblins uh, and then they're going to kind of double back and help the army and nothing went correctly so boromir's hit squad went against his um hence his little like goblin picket line and uh, and he he smartly was like just kind of inching backwards so i was like screw it i'm just going to get in his face so that he can't get away from me uh you know they're goblins i'm one hero combat away from clearing this entire flank even if he charges me whatever like i've got boromir faramir and they're goblins right so he wins priority i call the move he wins the move off charges in um i was like all right cool so one turn of you know maybe killing a goblin or two i don't think i killed any by the way like he won the fights um and I was like, that's no big deal. Next turn, call the move. He calls the move. He wins the move off. He gets back into me again. At this point, I'm like, that Balrog is going to get to me before I can clear through 12 goblins with Boromir and Faramir and two knights. Like, I'm fight a million. I'm bannered. I have a zillion attacks. Like, how am I still stuck here, right? Um, and that's, that's essentially what ended up happening. So, and then here I've got Warriors of Minas Tirith with Fountain Court Guard. They're fighting against basic goblins on a fairly numerically equal front. And I'm losing, I'm losing every fight. He's killing my warriors. Like it's, you know, and it's the stupid drum, right? So like, I've got my two dice and I'm fighting one goblin. I'm like, great, cool. I roll a five. He's like, oh, I roll a one drum into a six. 
kill the warrior of Minas Tirith. And after oh, a while, I find myself in a position where, so I've got my, my two rangers or three capturing one corner. I've got another two rangers um, capturing another corner. My whole army is stuck fighting goblins and losing. My, the Balrog has at this point finally managed to like whip and combat his way to threaten all my heroes who are still standing there fighting 12 goblins. Um, Eventually he gets there, right? Like he whips the Balrog in, the Balrog goes in. At this point, Boromir and Faramir have lost the fights that they've lost their horses. Like it's just as a disaster. Um, the Balrog gets in, starts eating through everything because it's the Balrog. And even with a strike, it's a 50-50, right? Um, he eventually gets in on Boromir. Um, I choose to call the defense instead because I was like, it's probably better than trying to go for a roll off on the strike with the Balrog. Um, and then a, a, like a ray of hope emerged, right? Where I, I finally managed to win. I think it was, I win priority and I was able to get just enough people to create a lane where Boromir could run away from the Balrog, like literally uh -huh. like snake through and run away. And at this point, any hope of like winning those fights went out of the corner, right? So I was like, all I need to do now is just keep Boromir alive and hopefully claim enough corners to pull this one out. And so the rest of the game ended up being Boromir having this like Benny Hill skit chase where like he would run six inches, Balrog would come up behind him, try to whip and fail. He would run six <laughs> inches, Balrog would come up behind him, try to whip and fail. And I was like, just I just need to keep Boromir alive and unwounded. The fight with the goblins went horribly. Like I got slaughtered in that corner. Um, I finally broke to compound it. All of my rangers failed their courage and fled. So like I wasn't even holding any corners anymore. I was like holding one, but barely, right? Um, and 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 the final turn of the game, he finally got the whip into Boromir, and you know gave him gave him the oh, hug no. from behind with a Balrog. That went exactly as you'd expect. He ended up eating him. Um, and and at the end of the game, I think I I contested a corner, held a corner. Um, and then just, I was broken. My leader was dead. I did nothing to him. I couldn't break an army of 15 goblins, right? So like nothing went my way. He just, he just completely destroyed me. Um, he got his oath. I think I actually got my oath as well. Yeah, I got my oath because I chose the kill the most, um, again, the most valuable model. Uh, and it was one of the goblin captains or the shaman or something. I did end up killing him in the end, but like he just rolled straight through me and, and mm -hmm. there's, there's just nothing you could do, right? Like the strategy yeah. was sound, his strategy was sound. And he just, he just, it was like a green tide that ate the finest Gondor had to offer. And by the time I knew that, like, I wasn't able to get through those goblins because the whole point was to get so far away from the Balrog that like, not only am I contesting a corner, but he would have to basically chase the Balrog around the board all game. And if he chose to commit it to any one corner to clear it, that's fine. I'll just abandon that corner, but I'll be holding three, right? Nothing went correctly. Balrog got into my heroes, ate through the center of my army. The goblins took the other corner. Everybody who was in a fountain court started running away because again, the drum, right? It gives you the minus one courage. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it was, it was, you know, a solid drumming. So I got, I got, I got well and truly pounded into the dirt <laughs> on that one, <laughs> but I can't be mad. Like sometimes like you just lose fights, right? Like there's nothing you could do. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, well, the battlefield wide banner is so good. Right. Yeah. Um, so like he had a banner everywhere. My banner couldn't be anywhere. Like you lose three or four move offs with cavalry. Eventually it's going to go poorly. Right. Um, and that was the game. <laughs> so. Yeah, but like, that's just one of those things about the Balrog. Sometimes, yeah. no matter what you do, as long as the Balrog rolls well, 
game is pretty much game over. And, and yeah. I, I had hope initially because he kept failing to whip. So I was like, he's going to have to get to me fair and square and go like model by model, right? With his little movement. Um, and then eventually he finally like got the whip, right? Into like a knight, dragged him in, combated over. And then at that point I was dehorsed and I was not going to be able to get away from all of the oh, goblins no. that now surrounded me. So I was like, well, now the Balrog's just going to eat me. So minus the one ray of hope where Boromir managed to like, do you know call a heroic cowardice and like sneak out of the combat and start running away um like there was just it was a foregone conclusion at that point right so so how many models did he actually start with uh he started with 33 uh, oh wow yeah so but it wasn't even 30. like the it wasn't even the largest like <laughs> goblin horde right but like no. there was a drum and a balrog and it still outnumbered me so yeah <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, Mark is an awesome guy and I had a great game with him. And then, you know, mm -hmm. he bought me a beer after the game and gave me a gave me a, a Guernsey and pound, like literally a banknote um, to, you know, tip me for the Guernsey and pound he gave me on the tabletop. So <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was getting you drunk before round four. Yeah, exactly. What is, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah, it was a really enjoyable game. I had a lot of fun. And um, and sometimes when like gondor's finest is losing fights to goblins you just have to laugh about it mm -hmm. right like it's a dice game yeah. and sometimes it just doesn't go your way and that's that's what it is so yeah <laughs> so i had yeah. i had a game that was very much a mick moment or like boromir would charge into two goblins lose lose his horse and then the balrog Yay. would show up behind him like hey wait but like, why why didn't you just spend like four points of might to win a combat or something like that well, because I I was running out of might at that point, and there was a Balrog behind me. So yeah. it's like I, I I had already blown through all of Faramir's might, right? To like call yeah. the moves, right? I was I was winning the combats. I just wasn't killing anything, right? And then eventually I just didn't yeah. win the combat. And it was like I rolled like a three high and I could spend the rest of my might and maybe do yeah. something, or I could take a take a chance. But it was it almost didn't matter at that point because Boromir couldn't get away. He was there was a wood next to him, so like there was nowhere to run. The Balrog was coming. Like it was, it was at that point, it was trying to keep him alive and hold on to the quarters I already had. Because even mm -hmm. though I was miraculously losing every fight to the goblins in the one corner, at least I was still pinning him there. So he wasn't yeah. getting goblins out of that corner. He still had to go through all of my models. And I was at that point at least holding um holding two, like contesting one and potentially could get another one. So it was just like salvage what I can at that point. Um, but it all just went downhill anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes like, these things happen when, like no matter how many resources you put into something. Yeah. Uh, if it's not it's meant to be, it's not meant to be right. And, and the Balrog, like, <laughs> thankfully I was, um, I, I was just saving some might to be able to call the moves or the defense or whatever, just to try and get away from him. Um, and that ended up working up until again the last turn where Boromir was booking it and the Balrog was like huffing it behind him. And my, the only thing that I could rely on was that he wouldn't roll the whip to get into Boromir, right? And then when he <laughs> finally did, it was like, all right, well, this isn't yeah. going to go well, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I, I got to get some. Uh... Calling defenses was a good idea. <laughs> What's that? I well, I mean, if I strike and I get a 10, it's a 50-50, right? Like, versus just yeah, making him yeah, roll sixes, yeah. so. 
I know they wounded him anyway, so you no, might I'm as well not, just, I'm, not, I'm just, never doing anything to the Balrog. And yeah, I'm not yeah. breaking his army because the Legion doesn't break if I don't put five wounds on the Balrog, oh, right? Yes. I'm not so I'm not getting leader points, I'm not getting breaking points. His drum counts as a banner and it's off in a corner, so I'm never getting to that, right? So his secondaries are assured. All I had going for me was trying to get the table corners. And of course the drum made all my stuff run away. So <laughs> So the last one of those time games. I played the Balrog um, was uh, I don't think I won a single combat with it the entire game. So I yeah. guess I've got to get some advice from him. I feel like that's always the case with those big models like the Balrog and Sauron. Whenever you play against them, your opponent always just wins every fight and kills everything. Absolutely. And then you play as them and they lose every single combat and your army gets crushed. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I, uh, you you had that experience where you played against them. Yeah, it, it, it started going pretty well initially because like his might, because um, the Balrog has no might, so his might was away from the Balrog, so he had no way to like um, power mm -hmm. it with moves and marches and stuff. So I was like, if I can get enough D6, D7 bodyguarded models in its way, I could keep it occupied. I didn't account for the SWAT team of goblins that came in and started murdering my guys <laughs> left, right, and center. Uh, and eventually he just broke through and there was nothing I could do, right? And then that whip, right? Once he once he's able to like whip in combat, like- I mean, that just, whip you know... is so strong. Like... And then at one point, um, one point, like he went into Faramir and he hit Faramir, wounded him and then set him on fire, right? With his whip. So poor Faramir is there to sacrifice himself bodily for Boromir to get away and is just getting pounded on. Um, but yeah, again, it was a very enjoyable game. It's just at one point it became very clear that I'm just doomed, <laughs> just doomed. <laughs> Yeah, the thing the thing with that whip, like if you if you if you end up moving like uh, nine inches with a with a heroic march, mm -hmm. and then you whip something in, into combat for yourself, you do a free heroic combat. You've mm -hmm. you've moved fifteen with a balrog, yeah. <laughs> so in, in two turns you've moved twenty one and you've charged and. And, and that's that's basically what happened. So like he because of the way the terrain was, he kind of had to go around a little, but he was able mm -hmm. to like combat whip move whip into a combat like you know he did balrog things right so yeah yep so that was that was game three and um and i had truly now hit the lows at, at one and two so so it was the pleb tables for me <laughs> well you were you were starting to, to 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 go just as well as i did in the masters yeah it was it was my opportunity to start submarining from here right <laughs> <laughs> exactly like it can only get better from from here yeah yeah all right so uh, my third game i was playing against uh dewey evans um mm -hmm. from the um guardians of vulture team so mm -hmm. he I, i'm not sure i think he was he might have been a captain of it as well um, i think he was so they yeah. end up winning yeah they end up winning the the the, the, the team the team event they're a great team and Dewey is a great guy uh I, I played with him before i think i think it was at the ETC last time we played like 2018. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so every game I've had before with him was was, was really good. Um, so he was bringing in uh, Angmar, but mm -hmm. it, but a bit of an unusual Angmar. I, normally you'd expect a Gulivar or a Shade. He didn't have either of those. He had Witch King on horse with a crown, 315 too. Uh, he was leading some orcs and two, two Deadmar Spectres. Then there was Birder leading orcs and Deadmar Spectres uh, well, actually, uh, no Demars Perkins in, in his warband, um, and, and a Wild Ward, and a Banner. Then he had a Barrow White leading some Orcs and a Ward Rider. 
and then he had another barrel of white leading some more orcs and wag riders. So 42 models, including uh, Witch King and two barrel whites and Birder. Um, so scenario was, was again uh, Command Battlefield. And I had the most bizarre start I've ever had in one of those Maelstrom scenarios. Basically, uh, by the end of turn one, we burned nine out of, uh, out of the 15 points of might that were available wow. to us. Uh, across wow. across the two arms. <laughs> so uh, he started deploying first. Uh, his roles didn't go so well, so he deployed um, one warband in uh, on the left side of the board um, uh, in the middle. That had a, a spectre and some orcs and a war rider. Then he deployed another warband in the top left corner. That was, I believe, Birder with with his guys. And then I'm not sure if the Witch King came on that turn or, or maybe he was coming on the next turn. But basically, uh, I had a situation where I knew that I want to deploy in such a way that I want to like isolate one of the warbands and I don't want to be focusing on the birder one. The other one is, is much easier to isolate and actually crush on turn two very easily. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna roll for Theodred first. Uh, hopefully he's going to come right next to that warband, maybe surround it, throw, throw some throwing spears, and then get into combat next turn. And the idea here was that if I managed to get all three of my heroes into, into that same place, then even if he, if he was to uh, win a heroic move with, uh, with um, uh, Witch King and maybe transfix someone or, or dismount someone, um, his barrel white is still out of mind, and his other barrel white is too far away from me to, to cause any damage. So even if he was to turn off one of my heroes, I have the other two, and I should be able to like surround that one, one warband and, and, and take it down. So my dice rolls. Theodred rolls a two. I'm like, oh, that's annoying. It's the worst. I don't want to, I don't want to make it, make it down to one, because then it doesn't really help me for him to come on next turn. If I mine it to a four, then I have to then, then I get to pick the board edge that's next to Birder. And I really want like the, the east or west. All right, spend three my points. Put him there. So he's in he's in position to, to, to charge. Nice. Then Urin rolls his dice. I believe he rolled a two. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'm just gonna mine it down to <laughs> one. <laughs> so Hopefully he comes on somewhere nice next turn. Then Legolas rolled a four, I believe. So that again was north or south. And I really needed him to come on the left. So I used the mic point. And I basically had two orbans now, now kind of surrounding his one. And I positioned Legolas in a way that his heroic move next turn would catch everybody within, within the vicinity to... Um, to uh, get the charges and all. Um, yeah, not, 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 I'm not 100% sure whether I did roll a four or five, but basically I, I came on uh, in that place and I knew I was, I was going to be spending a my point next turn to, to do a hurry uh, move anyway. So irrelevant of, of, what, of, 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 of what I rolled, the next turn, um, Legolas went down by another point of might uh, because of um, the, uh, the, the hurry combat. I managed to get get all of my guys in, and 
I was in a situation where I was kind of sure that I was going to be taking out his warbands. They were just going to die. And then hopefully Huron comes in somewhere else where I can hopefully like help him, well, help the rest of my army and like really, really isolate his army. So then um, <laughs> not sure exactly how things went from there, but throughout the, the second turn, I forgot to dismount Legolas while charging a Spectre, no, a, a, a shade, not a shade, a barrow wide runner. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, oh crap, I should have dismounted. So Witch King's Black Dart goes straight at Legolas. Oh no, Legolas yeah. <laughs> And the uh, barrow wide is fighting as Legolas. And um, Legolas was, I believe, uh, uh, trapped by, by like an orc. And he, he may have even rolled a one to, to, fall, off, to fall off his horse. I would have to uh, uh, look at the pictures exactly what happened, but essentially um, I then end up having to spend another might point not to lose a fight against, against that barrel line. So by somewhere by the end of turn two, um, I took a picture of the, of the uh, might, will, and fate scores, and I, and I wrote specifically turn two. It was Legolas, one point of might, Theodred, zero. Huron, zero, because he decided to come on the board in the end uh, behind, behind Burder's Warband to like, to like stop, oh. stop those guys from, from coming on, uh, from, from, from actually going to help the rest. Then his Witch King, one point of mind. His Burder, one point of mind. <laughs> so I, th I think it was also the case that Burder might have used one or two to, to actually come on the board correctly. So essentially, at the end of the second turn of the game, we spent twelve points of might. So you were both 15. playing. Uh, you were both playing no might Angmar at that point. <laughs> yeah, we were both Angmar basically, <laughs> except except he he had the spells and he had the terror, yeah. and I did not. So yeah, it became um it became a game where uh it was sort of like my line surrounding a group of his guys, then my guys, then his guys, then my guys somewhere behind. Like just a mess of everything. Um, it was a funny situation where um, my uh, riders of Rohan kept failing carriage tests to the mm -hmm. to the specters, and Dewey kept moving them, uh, especially one of them, into 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 this field, uh, like like a wheat field, where mm -hmm. the rider could only move like two and a half inches per turn because it's a difficult terrain. But then I realized, well, I can still throw my spear if 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 the specter moved me. So it might be I'd be throwing over over a fence like and end up killing an orc or something like that. <laughs> um, so it became quite uh, quite close throughout. Orcs were actually winning more fights than they should have been winning, and um, got to a stage where Legolas got charged by Birder, and I was worried um, uh, he was going to kill me, but um, Legolas ended up winning winning fight. Then there was another fight where uh, Birder charged charged Legolas and actually won, but this time. It was beneficial for him to actually throw uh, to to like um, actually no no better better end up fighting fighting this Theodred not Erkenbrand yeah so so many confusions here so better was fighting as Theodred end up throwing him across some lines then he was fighting as Legolas then Legolas managed to survive didn't take any wounds then Legolas ran away and. Um, I then started like splitting off to actually start taking objectives because it seemed he, he's going to break first. And then there was this bizarre moment when um, uh, Dewey realized that in order to preserve as many victory points as he could, 
he needed to end the game as, as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to, you have to get down to 25%. So we still had enough time on the clock. And um, there was a situation where if we play like an extra turn, then he might fail a couple of courage tests in, in one of the corners of the board. And I will be scoring more points because I have I have models, mm -hmm. more models in, in those corners. So he went into this, this thing where he charged two of my guys with Birder, who had by then had only one wound and no fate left. And he decided to, uh, to, uh, to charge a guy who had a, a bow and a guy with a shield. So, so I couldn't double shield. Mm -hmm. And there was, a, there was a moment where I, I was like, hold on a moment. If I kill one more of your models, the game ends. So I, I don't want to kill anybody, but I have to fight Birder. And then he goes, uh, he decides to piercing strike. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's <laughs> that <thing."> <laughs> <laughs> <But> luckily, <laughs> Birder, Birder actually managed to win combat against, against those guys. And, and he, he was out of, out of might, so, so he couldn't might, uh, might it down. Mm. So my guys managed not to kill Birder. Uh, normally, you would always want to kill him, but this time, this time I didn't. Uh, and so, and so the game played one more turn. He failed his courage test, and I managed to actually put put enough models in the mm -hmm. in the corner, in the corners. Um, Hurin was like um, uh, hit by a barrow white early on, so he he slept for a couple of turns. Mm -hmm. um, Theodred kind of did some fighting, but then didn't do very much. Legolas didn't do a huge deal. But yeah, I think just, just the quality of my troops outkilled the quality of his troops. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was just a very bizarre game with like no one having any might at the end of turn two. That's such a <laughs> weird maelstrom deployment, right? That's so <laughs> crazy. Like I must have spent like, I think I, think I spent six points of might on, or, or like seven points of might to deploy. And he's, he spent like two or three points of might to deploy. Some, some, something mm -hmm. ridiculous like that. Yeah. But yeah, it was worth it in the end. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it turned out turned out to be the right call. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, I always feel like people don't spend enough might for deployment. Mm -hmm. And like at the end of the day, uh, yeah, like it's more valuable for you to have less might, but actually have your guys in the right right mm -hmm. place, than for you to have your might somewhere at the at the other other end yeah. of the board where it's irrelevant. I also so. find um, a lot of people are afraid um, to might twos down to ones to not come in. Cause sometimes yeah. it's just better to spend the might to not come in, right? And be like, yeah, I can do better next when, turn, when, right? When you're deploying first. Yeah. Cause then, cause then essentially you're passing priority to, mm -hmm. to your opponent to, to, to deploy more. Like if let's say you deploy, deployed two war bonds and then you roll a two, okay, well I'll drop it down to one so that my opponent can deploy and then I can react. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it's it's very often a good idea to 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 mine it down to a two. Yeah, I agree. But if you if you if, if you then roll the two again, it's like oh, yeah, <laughs> I will no, nothing you can do at that point, points. right? It's also um, it just goes uh, the the few models that have an ability to modify maelstrom, how valuable that is, because yes. that's a point of yeah. might, right? If you think about yeah. it in those terms, and so several several yeah, times Madrill. in this tournament madrill helps me out by putting people even taking a five and making it a six to give you more flexibility right um yeah. things like that yeah. so if you have that ability and it's a maelstrom mission it's 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 really really valuable yeah, yeah for sure like it's just such a such a great thing to have mm -hmm. yeah. but but yeah i just i just generally i pretty much always tell people burn your mind in maelstrom mm -hmm. missions because yeah. 
either you do or your might will just not be used in yeah. any, anywhere in that game and then mm -hmm. why did you even have it in the first place yeah what, what's the point of spending it to call the march to get to where you need to go if you could just spend it to yeah. get to where you need to go <laughs> so <laughs> and actually be there on time yeah. and actually, actually yeah. Be able to do things yeah yeah you might not have all of your might to play with but it's yeah. better to have some of it somewhere than, yeah. than all of it in, in an irrelevant place well and that's and that's one of those things that i completely agree with you but it's impossible to like teach right because it's such an instinct yeah, right, thing yeah. right of like yeah. when yeah. you get to yeah. a certain point in the game where you've been playing long enough you start to just feel hey this is really a place where i just need to burn the might versus you know not yeah. burn the might and there's no way to really concretely write a tactica on how to do that because it's just you have yeah. to kind of feel the game right yeah like it, it also really depends on like how many points of might does you have where like if if they were to not burn the mic, what, mm -hmm. what that will mean? If yeah. they were to burn the mic, what was that going to mean? Yeah, like you just have to have so many things to weigh uh, into it. So I often find that the Maelstrom scenarios, I like the, are, I like the ones where you really sort of get, you really you really see the best mm -hmm. players doing certain things and and the weaker players not, and like you really can see the difference in skill level based on how they how they manage Maelstrom scenarios. Well, and um, and in a tournament scenario uh, setting, you really have to make those decisions like instantly, right? You can't like sit there yeah. and think about yeah. it because you don't have the time yeah. to think about it. You just have to get going. So you can't call a friend or, or watch a podcast. <laughs> yeah. or listen to a podcast. Take, take a 50-50 <laughs> lifeline. Yeah. 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 Burn, yeah. not burn. Flip a coin. Yeah. Well, good. But good job. You um, pulled it out in the uh, in the weirdest yeah. Millstrom game ever. Yeah, but Command Bellevue is really, really fun scenario. And I had a really good opponent and a really great game. So that was, yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, and that's been a trend for me. I had really great games with really great opponents through the whole tournament, which was um, mm -hmm. which was awesome, right? Because, I mean, obviously it's tense, competitive, high level, whatever. But um, at the end of the game, win or lose, you just have a beer with them. And you just it's just such yeah. a great, um, it was just such a great vibe uh, at this Arctic on. It was very chill, so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was it was hot. I was just oh, so hot. Oh God, I drank so much water, but yeah, there were like I would stand over the table and be dripping sweat on my models. It was gross. It was just disgusting. So, yeah. Well, I wasn't doing that, but I was drinking about like a liter of water per game, at least. So by at the least. end of the first, by the end of the main event, day one, I drank like five liters of water. Mm -hmm. Easy, right? Easy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, I guess uh, game four. Yeah. 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 Okay. So game four. Speaking of um, having great opponents, so for game four, I was drawn against Michael Haskell from Team Entmoot. Um, I don't know if there is a nicer human being that plays strategy battle game. Like this was the nicest guy I've ever yeah, I have met. To agree. Oh, he was yeah. awesome. Uh, that, I mean, that kind of goes for the entire team Entmoot uh, roster. Like they're a great group of players, great group of guys. And it was, you know, after after getting pounded on by the Balrog, it was just such a such a pleasant treat to um, to draw somebody who was so nice. He ended up getting my sportsmanship vote too. Um, and he, he's a listener to the podcast. So hi, Michael, thanks for the game and thanks for listening. Hello, um, but in any case, so the scenario was clash by moonlight and he was bringing the black gate opens legendary legion, which actually was, that was really fun to look at because I was like, this is, this is going to be a no frills, just like a standard, 
uh, you know, fun Lord of the Rings game. There's not a lot of tricks to manage. It's just two battle lines with some big heroes hitting each other uh, in the middle. And that was really great. And so he had the Troll Chieftain with uh, five Moran and Orcs with shields, four Orcs with spear, and an Orc with a spear and a banner, a Moran and Orc Captain with a shield, with again, five Moranins with shield, five Orcs with spears, and then another Orc with a spear and a shield. And then he had the Mouth of Sauron on his armored horse with four Moran and Orcs, six orcs with spears and one troll drummer. So he had the big guy with the drums. Um, very, very cool list, beautifully painted, just like a really like a joy to look at, right? Um, and again, just like a wonderful, wonderful person piloting it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all, of the, all of the miserable luck that I had in the last game came back for me in this game. And it's just like, I sucked up all the luck in the game. So it's, it's Clash by Moonlight. I have bows and he doesn't have bows. So um, I kind of deployed, uh, you know, it, it, I think you deploy on the 12 line. So I deployed on my 12 line. He deployed on his. Uh, he knew he was going to have to come to me because theoretically I could sit back and like try to shoot him with my six bows, seven bows. Um, I never really saw that as a realistic prospect because by the time you get into line of sight, you kill one or two models and it's, it's not a thing. So, so the terrain was, you had like one building, it was like a Lake townhouse or something here, another Lake townhouse kind of uh, dissecting the battlefield. And then one of those wheat fields you talked about, Mick, right. Where it's like a, mm -hmm. it's a field of wheat with, with a fence around it. Um, and I, I put Faramir kind of like hugging one house, Boromir hugging the other house, just enough so they can see out. And then like a loose battle line between them and a loose battle line that kind of covers the field area so that the troll couldn't weirdly flank me or something like that. And, and my plan was pretty simple. Just, you know, get into the lines and fight him, right? Like I wasn't going to sit back and shoot or try to do anything tricky. Um, there was just no reason to because it was just Moran and Orcs, right? Uh, he ended up marching up with the drum. Obviously, he had his Mouth of Sauron coming in and the troll chieftain behind him. Um, and he we were in a position where he had his line of orcs and Moranins and his heroes behind. And I knew that that was just the moment to go in because then I could try to trap that chieftain behind his line as long as possible and not have to deal with him basically, right? The chieftain being his leader, but this is the black gate open. So it was like a, it was like a mega chieftain, right? He had the extra might and everything. Um, and that's essentially exactly what happened. So he marched within the range of my heroes. I sent Faramir into two orcs. I sent Boromir into two orcs. Everybody who could charge in went around them, right? And I had a situation where it was like, you know, a two-on-two -two fight, uh, Faramir, a couple two-on-two -two fights, Boromir, a couple two-on-two -two fights. And then the rest of my models kind of closed the gap just to protect my flanks because I figured they could hold out against um, just a bunch of orcs and a captain over there because I had the fight five and I had the banner essentially everywhere because it was such a tight area. Um, and it was just one of those games where everything went my way. So I called two heroic combats. Uh, Faramir killed two guys, went into another two, killed them. Boromir killed two guys, went into another two, killed them. I won every fight down the line. By the end of turn one, I think I killed something like 12 or 13 orcs and Moran and orcs. Like it was, his army was a total of 35 models and he was like almost broken after the first oh. combat, right? It was, it was rough and it was that was just dice, right? Like, yeah, sure. I, I waited it in such a way that I had the banner and like, it was favorable to me on fight. Right. But like every, all the luck I didn't have killing goblins in the first game, like my models were clearly embarrassed and it just came back and it just went straight in. Uh, and at that point, so I basically, I had a pretty good control of the center. I'd sent one night around the flank just to kind of threaten the mouth of Sauron to keep him from casting stuff. He had thrown, um, 
uh, at some point he threw, I think a couple immobilizes or something like that, but I resisted everything with my will. Like my dice were just great. Uh, and, and most of the game after that was essentially just, you know, win priority, tie up some fights, win some fights, kill some stuff. Um, he managed to get the troll chieftain finally to come in on Boromir, uh, but it was the same thing. Strike off, I'd go to 10, he wouldn't, I'd win the fight, right? Strike off, I'd win the, I'd win the fight, right? On a roll off or something. And by the end of the game, like he had no might left. Uh, Boromir, every time he would go into the troll chieftain at that point, he would just strike and auto win the fight, right? Uh, I was kind of cleaning up orcs here and there. At one point he was definitely broken. So things started running away on his side. And I think on like the last or second to last turn of the game, uh, I ended up just surrounding the troll chieftain, putting Boromir in and was able to just take him. So, so I was able to kill him. I wasn't able to do the same to the troll drummer, who was my oath, was to kill the second most expensive model. Faramir, um, you know, kept charging into him and failing miserably to do anything. So classic Faramir flailed around long enough to do nothing uh, after his initial glorious charge that cleared some orcs. But at the end of the game, I essentially, I'd killed his leader, I'd broken him. Um, uh, and then the secondaries for the mission have to do with killing or having more heroes than your opponent, right? So I definitely got that. Um, nobody, I didn't get my oath. I don't remember if he did. It was a really fun game. Um, we, we had a really great time. Uh, I felt bad. You know, when you suck up luck in a game, you just feel bad because it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, I'm just pounding on you and I don't mean to be, but like dice or dice, nothing I can do. Last game, it was me kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a fairly straightforward game where, you know, two, two armies without a lot of tricks just ran into each other and, and I ended up getting the, getting the advantage on it. So yeah, but really great game. I, I can't, I can't stress enough how, how nuts of an opponent he was and how, how he, uh, how he took it as a good sport. I'll put it that way. So. <laughs> yeah. I played against Michael a few times and I can, I, I, I can confirm he's probably one of the nicest people out there. Yeah. It was, it's, it's disarmingly nice. Right. I'm like, Oh man, you're so nice that you're just going to roll through me and I won't know what hit me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you are just going to destroy me and smile. After yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm yeah. going to have nightmares of you smiling at me after what you're about to do to me, right? <laughs> but unfortunately for, for Michael, um, that, that didn't end up being the case. And, um, you know, the, the Gondorians took it um, in, in that particular round. So, mm -hmm. so I was on two and two. I was back on, back on neutral. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Coming back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> my fourth round, I was playing against... Um, the thing that did a bit of a surprise on me the, the previous day, the thing that came and bulldozed my entire army for long. Oh, no, no, <laughs> run away. <laughs> He's back. Yeah. He's yeah. so fast. So as soon as, as the draw happened, I walked over to Sean and I quoted Maximus from the Gladiator. <laughs> I said, I will have my vengeance. Yeah, there this you go. <laughs> You went in there and, and said, it's a trap. <laughs> I can't repel firepower of that magnitude. <laughs> yeah, so again, uh, Clash of Moonlight, um, he, had a, he had like nine, nine bows with his um, fiefdom. So it was uh, Imrahil doing here for long and Angbor with a bunch of models, like about 30, 32 models or so. Um, so early on, I was thinking, well, unless he gets into, into combat early on, then, then I'm, I'm just going to outshoot him. So uh, he tried to, uh, doing a heroic shot against against some of my elves, and I I did a heroic shot with my with my Legolas. So luckily 
thanks to me winning a heroic shoot off, I managed to start taking down some archers and um, it quickly became apparent that he had to start getting into combat because otherwise his stuff would just collapse because uh, of all of my bows. And um, Legolas was doing like these miracles where he would he would shoot three arrows, take out two guys. He would shoot three arrows, take out another two guys. So he was doing super well. So I managed to break him um, probably uh, well, it was it was relatively early. It was like maybe maybe, maybe just, a, just a few turns into combat. And then uh, Imrahil gets into combat um, and Forlong is like slowly, slowly moving towards me and I'm just like, oh no. As your <laughs> sweat increases, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do I do? And I realized that in this scenario, even, even if you break your opponent and you don't break yourself, if they have killed a hero of yours, then they're, they're still winning. Like if, if let's say, uh, I, I believe the, the points go three, five, seven for, for you having killed heroes. Um, if, you, if you have heroes alive and then it was, there, was, there was something else about, about killing heroes. So essentially I was really worried about sending any of my heroes into combat. So that meant that he was actually sending all of his heroes into combat and he was, he was doing more damage to me than I was to him. Mm. But luckily, on one of the turns, Erkenbrand got into um, uh, his Imrahil. Erkenbrand's I back. Like, okay, <laughs> I have to. I have to do something here. Otherwise, otherwise, my army might just collapse. And like, if we both break and don't kill heroes, then it would be a draw, and it's really disappointing. So Erkenbrand gets into Imrahil and actually manages to cause a wound. So, by the way, we nice. should put up like. We should put up like a guide, just like end this podcast, like in the description. Every time mixes Urkin no, Brand, it's the Yeah, he needs the Andrew. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Feodred manages to get into Imrahil and he causes a wound. Amazing. Well, like two wounds or however many. And um, Imrahil fails his fate points to a point where one wound has been caused. Mm-hmm. And so we're still, we're still playing out. Um, and in the end, uh, I'm not sure if we went to time or if the game uh, is there is the game end on this on a, on a roll of a one or two after break. I believe it is. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Oh no, no, no! Actually, no. It's a, it, it's no, it's 20, a quarter. 25%. It's a quarter. Yeah, it's it's, it's a quarter. So um, in the end, I managed to quarter him uh, on the exactly the same turn that he broke me, and Erkenbrand managed not to die. So I won four three, I believe it was because mm-hmm. or, or three two rather because because of of, of causing a wound and um, and mm-hmm. break break on each side or it could even be a two one in fact because of causing wounds and and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't exa- I don't ex- exactly remember the, the 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 victory points at the moment, but essentially it was just a win by like by like one victory point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was very close, very very tactical. Uh, it's really hard to, to like describe it in any, yeah. any more detail because like really like things were just moving here, moving there, and like like everything was just like you move an inch in the in the wrong direction, something's gonna run mm-hmm. through, follow is gonna come in, follow is gonna wreck your army. So yeah, you don't <laughs> want that happening. So. Makes <laughs> for long PTSD. Like, <laughs> extremely cautiously with my heroes because like. <laughs> If that fallen gets in and I love my dice rolls again, I've lost. <laughs> so, just put a brain in a far yeah. corner, right? 
<laughs> so yeah, that was just constantly yeah. playing in my mind because there was there was a moment where like Iran was kind of within charging range of Poland. I had to like throw some guys and sacrifice them just to just make sure that Poland doesn't go and destroy me. Oh man! <laughs> just through your whole army. Um, yeah, I had, I had a great time with John. So yeah, another another really good game. Yeah. So yeah, it was really good. And that and that was the end of day one. So we all um, we all got to change our our bathing suits at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, um, I believe I, I think I think after after the second the, the third round, I actually went up to my room, had a cold shower, came came down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it was just so hot. God, it but was that was that was so my first hot. game on the on the top tables. Yeah. So yeah, the VIP area. There you go. Nice. Yeah. See, mix was, mix submarine across events. Even it was. <laughs> So, instead of it yeah. being like 45 degrees in the main hall it was maybe like 43 degrees up there yeah yep well such such is the life of the other other half in this game with their yeah. fans <laughs> and their dedicated judge <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah. um yeah so that took right. us to the end of um day one we were all exhausted after four games in the sweltering heat um i was on two two you were on three one so not so bad three, right? draw, three, yeah. three one zero right or three oh one whatever yeah, it would be. Zero. three in a draw yeah. um so uh we all you know did not get a good night's sleep because this is Articon where we stayed up way too late socializing with our friends and came back for day two for round five. And round five uh, was retrieval, or as most people call it, capture the flag, because that's really what it is. It's the one where you have the two um, the two objectives that you have to move into your corner and prevent yours from being moved. And I drew um, Kevin Van Ravensfly. Um, I definitely did not say that right. And so I apologize to you, Kevin. Um, he was, I believe he was Dutch. I think he was one of the Rotterdam White Scars from their team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, super, super nice guy. We had a really great game against him as well, which I'll, uh, which I'll go through, obviously. And he was playing the host of the Dragon Emperor. So he had the Easterlings, mm. which was a very interesting... Uh, like looking at it, going into it, I didn't really know if that was good or bad for me on the scenario, but he had the Dragon Emperor, obviously, with a Black Dragon Cataphract with Drum. He had six Black Dragons with Shield and Axes, so he actually paid to give them Axes, and then Ooh. 11 Black Dragon Warriors with Shield and Pike. He then had Brorgear with four Easterling Warriors, not Black Dragons, with Shields and Axes, and seven with Shields and Pikes. And his last warband was a dragon knight on his armored horse with two black dragon cataphracts, um, again with axes and one black dragon warrior with bow, just a random like one bowman. Um, so a very interesting army. Uh, I, uh, I knew that um, against my army, the axes would actually be relevant because I wasn't playing all fountain court guards. So that D6 would, uh, would be, it would be bad uh, to have him piercing strike up and be killing me on fives because in usually in Easterlings versus Gondor fights, your troops don't do anything. They just kind of bounce off each other and then the heroes do all the work. But in this case, his troops could actually do the work. And because he had the Dragon Emperor, my fight five didn't really mean anything, right? So now I, uh, the probably the most important role of the entire game was the role to determine deployment side. So you deploy in a corner and I looked at the battlefield and there was in the center, the, there was like a set of three huts, right? Kind of in a triangle. And then there was a forest in each corner kind of where the objectives would end up being. Um, and I noticed immediately that the way that the huts were positioned, um, if I took one corner 
the the hut opening was almost exactly the size of a dragon emperor meaning that he really couldn't do anything but fit the dragon emperor and maybe one or two guys on his side and then the huts themselves were more than six inches long so he would have to split his army outside of his fight range and kind of like come to me and so uh we rolled for deployment i roll i won the roll and i was able to take the corner that i really liked and that completely changed the way that i approached the game so um he you know obviously deployed his dragon emperor the only place he could which was right in the center to try and shoot through that gap and then he put some guys on this corner and some guys on this corner with the dragon knight uh and he was just going to drum everything forward i deployed um centrally kind of in front of the dragon emperor with boromir um and madrill uh and then i deployed a picket line of uh, faramir and a couple guys off to the side that was just going to kind of close the flank to keep him from coming in um because his only hope was really to break through me and get to my objective right because what else is he going to do um and so that essentially was the start of the game and it started off pretty uh like it could have gone pretty poorly for me in the immediate uh in the immediate case because i won the priority uh, I was able to charge into the Dragon Emperor to kind of pin him in place with one guy. So he'd have to kind of do the combat through one guy to get to another guy, put a few guys on the flank so he had nowhere to go. And then he'd essentially have to break through me. Um, but he brought Burgir in and he's like, all right, I'm going to tremor that guy. He tremors the center. And out of my six guys, he kills four. <laughs> so, so the guy fighting the Dragon Emperor and um, all four of the guys around him in that little cluster immediately died. And I was like, well, this is going to be a quick game because my whole plan is to keep him trapped in the center while I do other things and get like a good position on him. And if he breaks through on turn two, like I've got a Dragon Emperor on my objective and I'm screwed, right? Luckily, the Dragon Emperor charged into the like one guy remaining because he still had a control zone there lost the fight <laughs> and that one lone guy was able to push him back and that the next turn i either won priority or won the move off one of the two and i was able to kind of bring forward the next round right and keep a co solid contingent of, of troops plugging that gap so that the dragon emperor basically was just held in place and he was expecting me to have Boromir just kind of supporting those fights because he figured I'd want the fight five. But what I did instead was I took Boromir and I noticed that he was kind of creeping with a couple Easterlings down the, down the flank. And I just threw Boromir into that flank and I hit two Easterlings. I brought some guys with him. I kept a few guys because he was, he was using his Dragon Emperor to kind of, or his Dragon Knight rather, and a couple cataphracts to march behind me and I think to try and threaten my objective. So I kept the picket line so that he couldn't get to me. And I was, and my thinking was, if Boromir can clear everyone off this flank, then I don't have to worry about that. I sent Faramir into the other flank where he had a line of Easterlings and Faramir and a couple knights charged in there. Uh, and he didn't have his, he, he had his banner, but he couldn't see it. So he wasn't going to get rerolls most places. And he wasn't going to get his fight five because the uh, Dragon Emperor wasn't in place. So I felt relatively confident that I could at least hold them up. Um, and that actually started going really well for me. So Boromir hero combated through like four Easterlings, the two buddies he took with him uh, killed their Easterlings that they were fighting. At one point he realized that he needs to reinforce that flank. So he threw in the Dragon Knight and a Cataphract into like one of my picket lines. I was able to use Boromir to heroic combat off of the Easterlings into the Dragon Knight and kill him. 
Um, so essentially at that point, I had cleared the entire flank and cleared all of the threats to my objective from that one side, which meant that now I could just keep like one or two guys to play with the one or two Easterlings left over there and then bring Boromir back to the center where I could start having real fights. On the other flank, it went equally well for me. Faramir won his fight, killed his two Easterlings. I think the both of the Knights won their fights, killed their Easterlings. So I was starting to thin the flank there. Um, and then I was feeling like I was in a really good position because he didn't really, he really couldn't break through easily in the center because the Dragon Emperor was pinned with most of my army in front of it and Boromir now floating around to exploit any potential breakthroughs. On the other side, I had, he had no might. I had Faramir with his knights that kept, were going to keep charging into him. So the only thing that he, he kind of reassessed, he brought his drummer back and he was just going to start marching it around the battlefield to threaten my objective. And I was like, okay, well, that'll take a, several turns. So I've got some time. Um, the next turn was a big one. I called the I called the move with Madrill because at this point it was like I need to pick the favorable fights to keep the emperor uh, contained essentially and be able to be able to like position correctly. And I called it. I won the move off. I started positioning. Everything was going swimmingly. And then I looked over and realized I made the biggest mistake you could possibly make. I had forgotten about Faramir. And so I didn't call the move with Faramir. So he's with his knights is standing in front of all of the Easterlings. Oh, and even no. though he couldn't contest me, I forgot about him and forgot to call the move. So he wasn't going to get the charge. And I was like, that's it. This is like, that's like the game losing mistake where you just like really make a huge, like a huge error to the point that you can't come back from it. Um, but that's the game. So I was like, well, we'll go for it. But Faramir, mighty Faramir, had decided this was the moment to show his quality. He gets charged. It's like a six on six dice on two. Both of the knights get charged. Faramir rolls the six, wins the fight, kills the Easterlings fighting him even without the charge. I was like, you, that's it. That's the moment, you know, that he showed his quality for the tournament. Uh, neither knight loses their fight. I don't think they killed the models they're fighting, but point is the flank that should have collapsed or at least been dehorsed is still in there. Um, and suddenly that becomes a game again, right? Um, at the end of the at the end of a couple rounds, it became very clear that like he was just never going to get through with the emperor. So he did the smart thing, and he actually voluntarily dismounted. So he was able to get on foot and take all of his black dragons and just flood the center, right? Because I had all the models there. He was running out of models, and if he was if he didn't do that, he was just not ever going to have any hope of breaking through. And at this point, the the fight five and the banner was less valuable to him than actually doing something to my army, right? Mm -hmm. Because one flank was clear, his dragon knight was dead. He didn't really have anything threatening me. And then Faramir uh, had free reign over the other flank. Um, and then it kind of became a game of cat and mouse, right? You know, we'd call moves, we'd pick fights here. Boromir would kill some stuff. The emperor would kill some stuff. Uh, eventually Faramir kind of circled back because I didn't feel like I needed him to hold that flank by himself anymore. I just threw a few guys in there to hold it. Faramir came back to help. And it got to a situation where the last like turn of the game, it became very clear that he was going to now be in a position where he could drum himself onto my objective, right? So I was like, okay, well, I have to take Boromir and he is on a horse. I kept him within 10 and just go and sit on it because he's unlikely to kill Boromir. But at that point, he, even if he does, he can't move the objective because Boromir didn't pick it up. He was just sitting on it. So I had to do that. Um, and I had to call a heroic move uh, with him and Madrill, I believe, to do it. And I couldn't quite do what I wanted to do, which was pull all of my forces back in order to just kind of protect points at that point, because he was broken. I was not broken. 
no objective was going to be threatened. Leaders were pretty much not going to be threatened. So it really all just came down to me maintaining my position. Um, it became very clear instantly that there was just no way I was going to be able to get away. So the best thing I could do was just pick favorable fights that would swing it, you know, more towards me than to him. Um, and so it's the last turn of the game. He has to kill, it was either four or five models. Uh, I stacked it in such a way that it was fights were in my favor, two to one. Uh, the emperor had like one guy on him and then two more blocking him. So he would have to go combat through them. Uh, there was no will left on Brewer gear, so there was no blade wrath. So it really was just the mercy of the dice at this point. And, you know, what do you think happened? So we get to the fights. I, I'm fighting like two, uh, one Easterling Bowman with like a ranger and a fountain court and like a warrior loses the fight, kills a model. Uh oh. Emperor obviously wins the fight, kills his model, heroic combats into the other two, wins that fight, kills both of them, even though he needs like a five and a six or something or two sixes. And at that point, like on the last dice roll of the game, he kills a model and finally breaks me, which brought it from a win to a tie on the very last fight. So like fair play to him, right? Like it was a tight game. And um, if I had been able to position better uh, and get people away from him, I would have. But like at that point, like, there's nothing you can do. It's the mercy of the dice. I figure he needs sixes to kill anything. Um, I'm fight five. He's not right. Like there's just a lot going in my, in my favor and just the whole game, the emperor has just been useless. Like he keeps losing fights. doesn't kill stuff. And this is the term he decides to, uh, to show up. So it, it felt like it was going to be a fairly um, comfortable victory. And then on the last turn, he gets just enough models to break me. And we ended in a draw. Um, I did get my oath because I killed the dragon knight. Um, and so I was sitting on two on two with four oaths at this point, which was a fairly average um, record, but the O's were kind of pushing me up top. So mm -hmm. depending on how I did next round could either launch me fairly high or, you know, torpedo me all the way down. But again, a, another really great game. It was very tense. We were having, you know, even though it was a very like tight game and everything was like about positioning. And so we were very like, um, we were very in it. We were both very nice. The table next to us, it was like a, a screaming match between an old married couple. It was uncomfortable, right? Like I thought there was going to be a fist fight. So several times we'd stop and just be like, no matter what happens, I'm just glad we're playing the game we're playing and we're not on that table, right? Um, and fair play to him. It was really, really close. The um, if, if, we, if I had not gotten the deployment I wanted, I think it would have been a little bit worse for me because the Easterling Pike line tends to roll through mine with the Emperor given free reign. But being able to trap the Emperor in the center without anywhere to go uh, kind of really saved my bacon and allowed me to dictate the terms of the battle in the way I wanted. So really good game, really Very close. Nice. And I was happy to come out of it with a draw, even though I was, was so close to that win. I could taste it. It's funny how um, your game was like super exciting, mm -hmm. and uh, everything really depended on the on the initial deployment. Mm -hmm. It was so, very important, yeah. So like in my case, um, I got initially I got paired against Jay Acharya, who finished second in the tournament, mm -hmm. and I was really looking forward to playing him. Um, he had the Rivendell Knights, but then there was a repairing. Oh no! Repair. Yeah, on the on the repair. They paired me up against Andrzej, who's um, who's a Polish guy, a uh, really really nice nice person. Um, uh, but unfortunately, he had Legolas, Tauriel, a Mercut's Ranger Captain, and twenty seven Rangers. Oh, and um, the board um, was similar to yours in that 
um, there was a forest in one corner, a forest in another corner, a wheat field in another corner, and then the other corner had a forest, but not quite in the in the place where the objective had been. So I figured if I win deployment role, then I can basically deploy in a way that he cannot be in a forest with the objective. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he won the roll off <laughs> yeah. himself in a different forest surrounding the objective and basically went, I'm going to sit here. <laughs> so yeah. so my, I then like thought about my options and I was like, okay, I either start moving forward. I'm like, YOLO, maybe, maybe I might just get there. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can break them. But there is somewhere between 90 to 120 shots coming at me. On in average odds, I'm gonna lose like 15 to 20 models by the time I get there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna hide behind all these tents. Yeah. <laughs> after about 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes, we agreed on a draw. Yeah. That, that's just a boring game at that point, right? There's nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I realized I would have won had Legolas uh, had a another cloak because mm. I, I, like my, my, my whole game plan for, for, last, for, for the first several turns, for like 30, 30 to 45 minutes, was to basically get Legolas into positions where he was able to shoot, some, shoot at something, but like my opponent would get maybe like three or four shots within the ways back at him. Mm -hmm. So he actually ended up killing like five guys mm -hmm. and i was like if i only have an elven cloak i can just dismount you i can put you behind a fence and you will break that entire army and i win yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i didn't <laughs> so, so because did. who does right nobody does yeah. that right so yeah, nobody puts an elven cloak on a horse it's like it's like uh, evan you were talking about um the the game you had where it's like you had points left over so you took the morgul blade and usually you'd be like whatever but that game you played smaug and it was like the most important piece of war gear in the universe right so yeah but in this case had i just taken the the, the oven the oven cloak there would have been no way for me to lose this game yeah <laughs> or, or to even draw there would have been no way yeah. for him to win this game yeah. but like he, he he knew from the start if he moves out I'm gonna go into into combat and he dies. Mm -hmm. And if I get out of cover, I die. Yeah. So then we agreed on a draw. Then we were like, okay, well, let's just play it out. We still have like over an hour. So we played it out. I got demolished. <laughs> uh, but yeah. but, but just, no take just backs. For, <laughs> <laughs> just for fun, uh, we we set up a Legolas versus Legolas encounter. Mm -hmm. we, we both had a foot Legolas, and my Legolas beat his Legolas and killed him. Yes. So, I technically won this game. There you go. You won the you won the moral high ground. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was it was just a really unfortunate matchup. Yeah. Nothing I could have done it. Yeah. Well, speaking of unfortunate matchups, should we go into to yeah, game six? six. <laughs> game six. So, as I said, so I was sitting on um, I was sitting on two one two with four oaths. So like my my. Uh, of course, Turney's going to freeze. It's okay. I remember this one very well. Um, so I could either win with an oath and do really well, or I could lose without an oath and do very mediocre, basically, right? Uh, at this point, I was not going to be like all the way at the bottom, but I was going to be somewhere middle in the pack if I lost. And so, <laughs> so a lot was riding on this game. Um, the scenario was, that is not the scenario. Turney's, Turney is uh, messing Sorry, up. It was, the scenario, yeah. 
scenarios to the death, which um, when I saw that, I immediately was like, yes, this is a wonderful scenario for me because I've got Boromir with the banner. He is my leader and he is a banner and he's a really good character at killing stuff. So this is going to be awesome. And then I scrolled down a little further and my heart sank and I was looking at what I was playing, Black Riders. <laughs> so into the death, the one scenario that favors me in almost every single like matchup except for Black Riders because my leader is my banner and he's now going to have to fight against seven black darts a turn and there's nothing I can really do to stop it, right? Um, my opponent, and I, this was both better and worse, my opponent was Damian O'Byrne from Team Wanderers in the Wild who is, who is a really dear friend of mine and I love him to death. Um, also one of the guys that I um, drove up with and um, potentially awkwardly would be driving home with. <laughs> And he was, and so like the winner of this game gets somewhere fairly okay. The loser um, goes into, you know, the sea of mediocrity. Um, and, and I look at it and I'm like, this is going to be awesome because I'm playing against one of my best friends, but how do I win against black riders on to the death? Like, I was like, okay, that's fine. Let's play it out. I get to the table and I sent you guys a picture of this in the chat. The table is completely open with two tiny little like Lake Town outhouses as the only terrain. And so I'm like, not only is it bad enough that this is almost unwinnable on scenario, I also have nowhere to hide. Like this is going to be, this is gonna be a massacre. But you know, you you play the cards you're given. So I, I decided to give it a try. And you know, and we're having fun by this point, you know, where we got a beer and we're bantering and we're just having fun with it. Um, and I figured, so the only way that I could really win this game is to keep Boromir away from all of the black darts until I could at least get into a good position. Uh, his, uh, his army was the, the Witch King and six wraiths. Witch King had, I think, three fate, three might, and all the other wraiths had two might, two fate, um, and most of them had uh, seven or eight will, give or take, right? Some, something in that uh, vein. But um, yeah, most of them had eight will, except for like one. The Witch King also had the Morgul Blade. Um, and so I had my two little huts, my non-cover, and I had a forest and one of those like wheat fields that you talked about earlier. And I decided, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to deploy in kind of like a little amorphous cloud, right? Just like everybody is spread apart so that he can't do like weird compel tricks to like open up gaps and try to just put control zones until I see what he commits to and and surround my whole army in this amorphous cloud of Gondorians and Boromir is going to play all the way in the back until and out of black dart range until I can figure out how this game is going to start going. Um, he he deploys everything fairly centrally. Uh, first movement phase is pretty uneventful. I start seeing kind of where he's going to go. So I start pulling my troops more towards the center between the forest and the hut. My other troops kind of move forward. Boromir stays where he is. Um, he you know, doesn't really do anything because there's no reason to. Next turn, he kind of come, um, I win priority at that point. He doesn't call the move. And so I was like, okay, I think that I can start doing something to contain the wraiths here. Um, and so my Citadel guard, who conveniently has bodyguard, was able to charge in and, and just hold up two wraiths. And then behind him, I started swarming my army forward. Now, um, most of my army does not have bodyguard, but I did have the 10 fountain court and the Citadel guard. And they literally were the only things carrying the game because the rest of my army was courage one. I can't charge anything. Right. Um, and then I also threw Faramir up there kind of almost as bait. And my whole game plan was draw out as many of his resources as possible 
uh, in terms of like might and will, so that by the time I inevitably have to start committing Boromir to do something, I, uh, you're just like, you're drawn out of your various like might and will, so you're not as threatening to me. He spends some will to Black Dart Faramir. He ends up going into him and killing him. Nothing, nothing that I was too shocked by. But by this point, he was drawn into my army in such a way that I was able to, either whether I won the move or the priority, I was able to start kind of moving my army around his, which trapped the wraiths in the center, essentially. So instead of being able to do the thing where like he pops out Black Darts and runs away, at this point, they were all in the center and I could slowly start to you know, if I win priority, I put a bodyguard onto one, keep him from casting and just kind of hold on to the game that way. And that actually started going really well. I was winning a lot of priorities. I was winning a lot of move offs. He was, I couldn't stop everything. And he was rolling fairly poorly with his black darts. So he would get them off every time, right? He'd roll two dice, roll the five or six. Usually I wouldn't even bother to try to resist. And I'd be like, you know what, if you wound me, I'll rely on the fate roll because rolling a four plus is way better than rolling a six plus, right? Um, and, it, you know, it, the game kind of went in that fashion for a good amount of time where he'd throw some black darts. Eventually, I was out of will. I still had four might. I was out of fate, but I wasn't yet wounded. Um, but the important thing is, is that by this point, two wraiths were dehorsed. I think one or two were dead. And my whole army kind of pinned his in a very specific amount of, in a very specific place. So he couldn't easily get to Boromir, whether it was by casting magic, because I can now hide him, or by trying to get into combat. Um, because if they get into combat, they shriek and they just kill him, right? The, it's a nasty army. I can't stop it. Uh, eventually, the one Black Dark kills his horse. But at this point, most of the wraiths are contained. Two or three of them still have horses. The rest are on foot. It's, it's coming down to time. Boromir at this point has taken a wound, but he is not dead and I am not broken. And I realize against all hope, like I am currently winning the scenario two to one, right? It because Boromir one, yeah. has a banner, right? even though he's wounded, yeah. he's a banner. And so all I need to do is keep Boromir from dying and he still has two wounds, even though he has no will or fate left. And I just need to keep from breaking. So it comes down, the clock is down to like three minutes. It's like the last turn of the game, just by any metric. Uh, I lose priority. I, I call the move. He can't challenge because he's out of might on all of his wraiths at this point. <laughs> and I move what I can, where I can. And what I was able to do with my remaining fountain court is at least pin the wraiths that had will left to cast black dart. So at that point, he can't cast magic at me. Boromir's, Boromir's safe. He, there's no way for him to get to Boromir and kill him, right? Unfortunately, I couldn't pin all of the race because um, I didn't have bodyguard where I needed it everywhere. And at that point, you have to, I have to roll a nine to go into a wraith and it just wasn't possible. So the best I could do is surround them so that they couldn't break out, right? And so he, he takes his movement phase, one wraith charges into two, one wraith charges into two. There's nothing I could do about it. Um, and I'm four for broken. So at this point, I'm winning unless he manages to roll uh, six consecutive dice rolls in his favor. I've got five, five, I've got the banner, like I'm feeling good about it. I've got D6 where I need it to. First combat, rolls the six, Ugh, can't challenge. Kills one warrior, Minastila kills the other one with, his, with each attack, kills a warrior. Uh-oh, next combat, rolls the six, kills the ranger, kills the ranger, breaks me and wins the game on the very last roll. 
again. Ooh. And I was you like, no! <laughs> played so well. Like, there was no part of me that thought I should win because if he was able to get into Boromir with seven Black Darts to turn, I should have just been wiped instantly. I can't charge his army. Somehow, against all hope, I managed to position so well that I was within the striking distance of the unwinnable scenario. But even though his dice were perfectly average the whole game, on the very last turn, six consecutive dice rolls go in his way. I'm broken. It ends with a victory to the Black Riders. So, so fair play. Can't do anything about that. If I was able to like get more uh, rates into combat with single models, I would have, but like I couldn't because can't roll nines, right? It's hard to do. So awesome game. Really, really fun. Um, really back and forth all the way to the end. Um, ended on an absolute nail biter. Uh, and uh, even though that then put me on 2-1-3 into Mediocreville, it was a really great way to end the tournament for me. So again, a game that I, I'm very proud of the way I played. I don't think I made any major mistakes, right? It was just, I made the best of, a, of an uphill climb and I almost climbed the hill, so to speak. So great game, great opponent. And, um, and that was my Articon. Well done. But what a draw to take on to the death on the last round. Black Riders, when your one model is all your points, yeah. right? Like just miserable yeah. draw. <laughs> yeah, and yet, and yet you almost managed. I, I, I had it. I could taste it. He just had to fail any one of those dice rolls and it was mine. So, so uh, throughout most of your game, I was actually in the bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had another highly uneventful round. Yeah. Um, so by, by, by this time, I had played 17 games over five days. So I was done. Mm -hmm. And so I got to play, um, I was on three wins and two draws. And I got to play, I think it was like table nine or so against Tommaso Zerbi. Uh, Tommaso was actually on our, on our podcast before. He's, uh, he's the guy from Italy. Mm -hmm. He was uh, second last year at Aragon. And this year, his army was almost identical last year. So it was Legolas being smelts and an army of Lake Town. So he had in excess of 50 models and he had a banner. Uh, he had a 56 models, in fact. He had a banner and I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew from the start, I have to start moving forward. Uh, and he had like 21 bows plus Legolas. Uh, he started shooting at me from, from turn one and it just went bad. Like oh. in like the first two, he hit like eight. At that point, I was like, okay, either I keep moving forward and we play a game where most of my army dies and I get crushed. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get the banner, never going to do anything about his leader. Even if I break him, he's going to break me first. There's just no way I can win this. Yeah. And I, and I was like, okay, look, Tommaso, like from now on, this, this is the situation. You can, you can clearly see that that's just how it's going to go. So I'm just going to start hiding and I'm not going to let you break me for the next like hour, hour and a half, hour and 20. Mm -hmm. So do you agree to a 2-0 to a, to a win to you? It's like, yeah, yeah that's, that's <laughs> fair. As <Yeah. laughs> a banner, I don't. Yeah, right, it is fair, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we let it at that. <laughs> So yeah, my, my tournament ended uh, with three wins, two draws, and a loss at the end. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if I if I brought a trebuchet, it would have been a completely different world. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm thinking of a trebuchet. I, I was about to say, <laughs> I'm thinking of a different solution to this Mick, one that costs uh, 25 points and doesn't neuter the rest of your army. Yeah, but like um, you pay six, you pay 55 points more. It's just it's just the cost of a 
of a, of a bolt thrower extra over a banner. <laughs> and you have a trebuchet. Takes out the banner, wrecks those rangers in the previous game. I don't, e I don't e even need an elven cloak. All I need is a trebuchet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, <laughs> had I done it, I would have won. Possibly, probably, maybe, mm -hmm. hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, it ended up. So basically, my, my final day at Ardacon was ah, let's agree on a draw, let's go away. Yeah. <laughs> let's, agree, let's agree on, my, on, on you winning, let's go away. I mean, that's, let's be real, that's exactly what it would have happened anyway, right? So Yeah, yeah. like I would have, I would have gotten crushed and I, I just couldn't really be bothered to yeah. play anymore anyway. So <laughs> I was done. Yeah. So yeah, we agreed uh, on the result and um, went, went away to the bar. Well, but ironically, yeah. uh, if, if uh, that was probably the one game in the whole tournament where I wish, I really wish I had Hurin, right? Because if I had Hurin, <laughs> he would hide in the back corner, Boromir would go into the race, and then they'd have to deal with him. And if he kills him, okay, yeah. you don't get leader points, right? So yeah, I got to say, like, throughout the entire tournament, Hurin or Faramir would have been exactly listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is almost no situation in which Faramir would not have been equal or better as Hurin for me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, so it was a net loss overall, but, um, you know, he showed his well, quality yeah. in one game and that was the Easterling game where he refused Evan. to die. Even yeah, I though I was Evan an idiot. Because, because of Witch King. Yeah. Had, had, had Evan not taken the Witch King, I would have taken him and then you would have had Huron. So we, everybody wins. So it's a, it's a cascade of failures and it all yeah. starts so, with Evan. So thanks, it's, thanks. it's my fault. Is that what you're saying? Okay. <laughs> it is. Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah so to, uh, just as a quick recap. So my, I mean, obviously my, my record in the end wasn't anything to write home about, but three of the games for me ended on the last dice roll. And had they gone literally any other way, that would have been three wins in my favor. So um, I'm very proud of all the games I played. Like I, there was outside of that one real mess up with Faramir, uh, uh, not calling the heroic move. Like, I don't think I made any major mistakes. I was really, it was some of the best Lord of the Rings I've actually played. And I had really strong opponents. Um, I don't know if the quality of the players at Articon this year was really high or what, but it was, um, but my opponents were all really strong. Uh, I had great games. Shout out to everyone I played uh, for, you know, there was not a single game where I was like, ugh right? This person is, is awful or anything like that. So yeah. I had a really great time. And um, yeah, even though the record doesn't really show it, I actually felt very good about the way I performed and wouldn't take, wouldn't take back any of the kind of decisions in game that I made. So yeah, same. yeah. yeah like I, uh, I ended up playing uh, 18 rounds against 16 different opponents yeah. over the five days. And yeah, yeah it, was, it was great. Yeah, it was uh, really good. Every single game was really good. Yeah. And uh, players, players were, were nice. Um, everything was like really chilled, except that the actual temperature. Except the, the actual the, temperature. The, in the, temperature. In the last game, we were um, we were in the back corner, and it was the one that was by the open window, and that almost oh, made everything worth so it because it would like blow in the breeze. <laughs> oh, it was the best. Um, it was absolutely the best. So yeah. But yeah, so that's me. Wow. Um, obviously, thank you again to to James and uh, all of the all of the team there for giving us such a great GT. And um, you know, thanks to all my opponents for being awesome and giving me great games. And uh, hopefully, be back next year. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, no, for sure. The, an unexpected podcast will be returning, mm -hmm. and we will be returning with more episodes too, with Absolutely. more recaps of articles. <laughs> Yes, we will. Yeah. So this is part one of at least four, maybe more. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so the next episode should be um, Matt and Evan discussing their GT games. Uh, mm -hmm. So stay tuned. And uh, as yeah. always, thanks for tuning in and uh, spending a couple hours listening to us. 
Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Have a good one, guys.